Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I am Carl Hartley And I am Max Peterson And we are joined in the studio today for a very special Christmas episode, listeners uh, Welcome back to the podcast my lovely wife, Bird. Bird, say hello. Hello. Um, we have. I don't think we've had you on for anything since you and I were like doing the quarantine tapes during the very early period of our of lockdown. Were you? Did you jump on for any special episodes or? Uh, when did we record Midsummer? Because I was definitely on for that one. Oh, you were on Midsummer oh, Part pretty, One. Yeah. Okay, okay. But uh, it's always lovely to have you here, and I feel I, like yeah. I feel like today. In per- <laughs> I feel like you're still lying. <laughs> no. I, 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 I love having you on episodes because you keep Car- you sometimes can keep Carl and I from going too deep into sometimes. the sidebars. Sometimes. Exactly. And also, um, I love your perspective on stuff, especially when it is raucous horror films like the one we're going to talk about today, which is not, well, <laughs> what I mean is raucous Christmas films. Yes. Of like the film we're talking about today, which is 1987's Hellraiser. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. Hellraiser. Beyond any terror you have imagined. Unlike anything you have witnessed, is born. Because within these walls, the unholy is unleashed. Written and directed by Clive Barker. Shout out right up top. Before we even get to the stupid cast. No, I'm kidding. The cast is amazing too. But uh, really the, the, who, the, the MVP of this movie, Bob Keane on special effects makeup. Holy crap. Mm. Oh, Did you say goodness. a special shout out to Bob Keane? Uh, maybe I said, uh, I said, we have to take the, the moment to acknowledge the MVP or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's like nine in the morning. Note, my third note is shout out to Bob Keene on makeup effects. Dude, no shit. Uh, this is amazing. Christopher Young on music. Uh, and then I guess there's some people in this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with the most important. Clearly Doug Bradley, <laughs> Nicholas yep. Vince, Simon Banford, Grace Kirby, Sean Chapman, Oliver Smith, Robert Hines, Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins, and Ashley Lawrence. Oh my god, dude. I had not seen Hellraiser in about two months. <laughs> oh, that's right. You went, on a, you went on a journey with Hellraiser in like two days or something, right? Like yeah, well, last, all of them. It last uh, last year around this time, around winter time when we were um getting the bees prepared to like for winter. 
uh, I had to build some stuff for the hive. I had to build a couple of boxes, and I had to put together. Um, I was just building some bee stuff, and a lot of it was like put on a layer of paint, let that dry for two hours, and then I would be constructing something else while I did that. I was basically just kind of like playing li- wood shop in my living room. And what I did last year to like pass the time, because sometimes painting boxes can be a little boring, is I would come home, I would smoke a little bit of weed. Put on a Hellraiser movie, starting with number one, because at that time on Voodoo, they were all free. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm, mm. So I started with one, hit play, and I started putting bee boxes together. And by the time, like, all the shit was ready for winter, um, I was on, like, Hellraiser 7 or whatever. And, uh, yeah. So that I, I watched them all within about a week. Um, so when was the first – so, Carl, when was your first exposure to Hellraiser? My first exposure to Hellraiser was renting movies at Family Video and not being allowed to rent R-rated movies, but sneaking into the section of horror movies. Right. And mm-hmm. like just looking at all of the VHS cover art and looking at the back and the couple of little thumbnails and the reading the story. And Hellraiser was like one of my go-tos because this weird fucking dude on the cover with this box that's shining gold shit out of the top of it right. and the back is like from the depths of hell they will angels to some demons to others i'm like what does this even mean right. and then i go and i find the nightmare on elm street one because you know nancy on the cover with the three you know so this that was my first exposure right a lot of times just I, this, I feel like with horror a lot of times it's the it's those box covers or they're like especially yeah. like the old vhs covers you know yep. and oftentimes those movies suck but like a great oh, cover yeah. image will grab you and i think hellraiser has one of the best movie yep. covers ever and i've got to say man you know growing up and finally being able to you know you turn 18 you can rent whatever the fuck you want to yeah and i was disappointed by like 99 percent of those <laughs> covers that i was like super curious about right? oh yeah except for fucking hellraiser that one was like it it blew my expectations like out of the water and, and to the point where I thought that I, I had done something mm-hmm. fundamentally wrong in the universe by watching it and had changed <laughs> my like genetic makeup somehow. Just having let those images go into my brain. Right. So, yeah, uh, this one, when you said let's do Hellraiser, I was uh, at the same time super excited to watch this again. It's been about 15 years, mm-hmm. but I was also like hesitant and a little bit scared to be completely honest with you. I can see it. Especially knowing that Hellraiser two, which we'll be getting into that one fucking freaks me the fuck out. (laughs) So anyway, that's my sort of, yeah, I'm fucking, this is beyond, I mean, you've got your slasher movies, you got your horror movies, like everything else was on that shelf. Nightmare on Elm street included. Like I was scared and like whatever, but Hellraiser lives in its own, like, weird Clive Barkery universe until you watch Cronenberg, like the fly or uh, like Videodrome shit like that. It lives. I think Barker and Cronenberg live in this weird universe together where shit is just almost too wackadoo for my brain to like (laughs) handle. Right. (laughs) Modern Lovecraft. Yes. Yeah. Very embody horror, Mm -hmm. like the whole fucking thing. What about you? Well, bird, what was your definitely the same? Like, mom dad can we rent this and then being like uh absolutely not what's wrong with you yeah, no shit. um so did you so when was the first time that you saw it i mean i'm, I'm assuming that iconic image of, of the doug bradley pinhead it's one of those things that just walking through it's arresting yeah you, you stop and look and you're like there's something about that that 
that brilliant simplicity of he's got this grid work of scars cut into his head and at each intersecting point is just this very simple plain unadorned pin it's really upsetting to see someone with like so mm-hmm. many pins just hammered into their head you're this pinhead um but when was the first time you saw it the first time i ever saw hellraiser was when we were living on the ridge street apartment i want to say probably was the first time i ever saw it do we watch it together for the first time i feel like i guess i don't know but uh you know just to kind of step back for a second i feel like that movie uh rental experience losing that we've kind of lost something Mm -hmm. like that the mystique of that film and the the greatness of the art on all of those movie covers, like we don't get that anymore. Right. We don't we don't get right. sucked in by a really great piece of artwork anymore. Now it's just like word of mouth or yeah. a trailer. Are you swiping through a thousand box covers or thumbnails on whatever device you're looking yeah. at? It's right. all all blends together. It's all shitty. It's all like. And to, it really has homogenized. It too. has. Yeah. yeah. To ground it in this movie, there is a very there's a great vast difference between swiping you know scrolling on your on your remote control through a thousand thumbnails looking for one that like looks a little good you know like oh thumbnail and and, and it's small and it's on a screen and there's like mm-hmm. all these layers between you and the artwork there's something different about picking up a box and that yep. box that you're turning mm-hmm. in your hands and i mean <laughs> You know, do you see what I'm going with this? Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, it's like in this movie, there's it would be like how scary would Hellraiser be if like the movie started with Uncle Frank like on his iPhone flipping through eBay listings and he saw a picture of Lamarchand's box, you know, and he's like, yeah. oh look, the lament configuration, buy it now price. Wow, that's pretty high, huh? There's a difference between that and like your. And out- he's following a whole scene of him just like tracking number god damn it, it's been in pennsylvania for 13 yeah, days yeah. <laughs> damn pennsylvania yeah right or or you know he's like oh well this mm, the lament configuration is a little out of my price range but uh, also you know like recommended for you viewers who looked at lamarchand's box also look at you know like <laughs> yeah that versus like oh i'm sorry i keep t- fucking with I your know. headphones um that versus like being in that weird, mysterious Arabic market that we start at. I'm, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the scene in Indiana Jones where it's yeah. you, you know he runs into Belloc in the in the uh, the bar or the tea What's room your or whatever. Pleasure, sir. And they get that weird moment, yeah. And there's the, there's something about the tactility of not just the box, but of the Hellraiser VHS was how I first saw it. You know, you pick mm-hmm. that up and you're like. This feels like you said, like I sh- this is something I shouldn't have watched, or like, oh my god, my life has changed, or because my- you found it in the wild, it exists in a real space. Like, was I meant to see this? Right. I think this is something. Just- Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying. It's like when you find something out in the real world, is it's it's that singular item. It could have been somebody slipped a mysterious VHS into a. Mm, you hit right. something on the streaming, and like everyone's streaming it. Fourteen hundred reviews. Four and a half stars, but like, what the fuck ever, you know? So right. I mean, it, honestly, there's another movie that th- that this this modern technology that we're in has kind of robbed some of the nuance and depth of experience. The first time I ever saw The Ring was a VHS copy that I had found in a video store. There's yep. something about popping an old VHS tape in, and it's a movie about a VHS tape that will kill you after, you know, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I was watching it. That's how I first saw The Ring. I was watching it with all my friends. 
And I, whenever it's like star 67 or whatever, you, if you hang up your phone, it'll call your phone number back so you can test yep. your ringer. So I'm like sitting there with a group of my friends of a sleepover and I pop in that VHS tape and watch this fucking really scary movie about, you know, a VHS tape that kills you. And then as the credits start to roll, I popped my phone because I'm sitting next to my house phone and I like star 67 it and hung up. And in the dark with the credits rolling, the phone rings and all my friends lost their fucking mind. <laughs> And and I think if you're chi- like nowadays, if you're chilling and you're watching, you know, you're streaming, going through Netflix or whatever, and you're like, oh, the ring's on here, and you you hit go on the ring, and then as the credits are rolling on the end of this scary movie, it's like up next, you know, like or would you like to rate it? Yeah, or yeah. like please rate before, your <clears throat> before the credits have even started to roll. Yeah, it windows out, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. like p- people who watched it. Do you want to make it a double feature? Check out Crudes too, or you know, like there's there's something that we're losing gradually through yeah. this stream. Now look, I'm I will never criticize streaming. It's opened up so many movies that I never would have seen before. Just but, I mean, yeah. But yeah. there there are, there is a certain amount of quality. And I, I don't mean quality in like uh, the quality of your experience, the totality of your experience. There's something that we're exchanging in exchange for quantity and ease of viewership, you know? Um but that said, let's dive into the actual film itself. I fucking love Hellraiser. So, yep. This these movies don't usually come up in the discussion of like when I say the canonical slashers. Everyone knows it's Friday the 13th, um Halloween, uh Nightmare on Elm Street, and then some people will start to fold in like, you know. And then there's all the like the shitty 90s ones like Wishmaster, which Bird and I just yeah. Scream, oh. stuff like that. Yes. And the, they start to fold in. Yeah. You get uh, Hatchet with the the whole uh, Crowley, Victor Crowley, right? Leprechaun. Like there's there's a there's a whole, these all these canonical you know slasher films. The big three are Friday mm-hmm. the Thirteenth, um, uh, Halloween. I'm trying not to say the one we're talking about. It's <laughs> fucking me up. And Nightmare on Elm Street. Like those. Yeah. When I, when someone asks you like, what's your favorite f- slasher franchise? Those, it's the holy. It's the Holy Trinity. Yeah, man. they really mm-hmm. mean those three. But honestly. I can say, and I love 1978 Halloween. I love 2018 Halloween. I think a lot of the ones in the middle are fun, and I used to think that Halloween was my favorite. I'm, it's not though. But like per, like banger flicks, like the the percentage of amazing movies in the franchise, Hellraiser for me, a hundred percent. One is amazing. Hmm. Two is amazing. Four is insanely good. Five is really good. Like. I honestly think that of the three canonical, you know, the the big trinity or whatever, mm-hmm. I pick none of them, and I say Hellraiser is my favorite horror movie franchise. You know what That's I mean? Cool. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. <clears throat> um, Bird, do you you have you ever seen? I think you saw two because you've seen Blood Mattress. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I've definitely seen the Gooey Mattress. That's two, right? Yeah, yeah. Gooey Mattress yeah. is two, and that is. N- We'll talk about that when we get to two, but like it's stuff like that that elevates this franchise to me. Like name an, name another one of these slasher franchises that is this fucking gory. Have you? I mean, I mean, this is this is goopy uh, by today's standards. It's fucking yeah. gross. Yeah, and the pra- <laughs> the practical effects work in this for. So for those of you who don't know, this movie is based on a book, a short, it's actually technically a novella written by Clive Barker, the guy who wrote and directed this film. And he's an author first and became a director to just to bring this story to the screen. Well, no one was bringing this shit to the screen correctly. He's like, fuck it. 
I'll direct. God yeah, I, I love that, dude. He's like, wait, wait to circumvent the producer notes where they're like, well, what if we made Pinhead like Ashton Kutcher? You know, it's. I mean, that's not. Yeah. He's a baby at that point, but um, you know, it's <laughs> like Clive Barker's looking at all these how people are pitching his own story to him. And he's like, none of you fucking understand what I'm trying to do here. So let me just do it for you. And he created one of the like all time special effects driven horror gross out masterpieces. I don't. It's so weird that I don't even really consider this horror. I thought about this several times. It's horror because it's horrific, right? But this, I, I don't think it even lives in the space of like the Holy Trinity. It's it's, it's a different thing. Again, more like Cronenberg. Cron- this reads more dramatic with this weird. We have we have dipped our toe in this world that is hidden and exists for a few that find it. Yeah, and and so I don't know. It, it it feels too real for it to be like Jason. I don't I don't I don't have to live in like Pinhead is too it, too fuck. I don't know. It's just it, it's it separate in... to me. It reads as more. It gets more horror movie as you go along in the series. It becomes a lot more. It's horror, but this first one, Hellraiser, the Hellbound Heart, is more of this weird, fucked up drama. This torrid love affair between a woman and her husband's brother that goes to the far extreme of what that relationship could possibly end up being and then the part and the price you pay for your for your your for for your sin essentially right it's like i don't know this lives in a whole other space i will it's it's not it's this the first one is not horror to me it is horrific but it's not a horror flick okay i almost feel like it it falls more in line with like an ancient greek myth like it yes. brings in elements of fate and gods yes interesting yes, absolutely okay i personally this for me lives firmly in horror it mm-hmm. the 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 bar for me is kind of always is this a film that you could show to joe blow off the street like if, if you're just walking down the street and you picked a random person would you feel comfortable showing them that film if that answer's no, I call that a horror movie, kind of. You know, like I mean, that's that's a loose bar, obviously, but it's like how the same way about like Hello Dolly. So, <laughs> but you know, like there's there's people who say like you know like Aliens, not it's a sci-fi movie, it's not a horror film, right? But meanwhile, you know, what knowing watching a lot of horror, I look at Alien and I'm like, no, this is a trope. This is monster in the house. Yeah. The house just happens to be a spaceship, and the monster just happens to be an alien. Like. Right. This is Halloween in space, kind of, you know. Like, but, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the, but you're right though. There is something else about Hellraiser. There's a reason that this this franchise doesn't get lumped in with the big three. Actually, Bird and I just watched a movie. We just watched The Cabin in the Woods again last night. Oh man! Oh man! Mm-hmm. That would be so good. And yeah, dude, it's fucking amazing. And it holds up too. I haven't seen it in a couple years. It's just as good as it used to be. The even the like some of the some of the CG effects are like a little yeah. a little bit aging. A little mid two thousands, yeah. Yeah, but but it doesn't matter, you know, because that almost kind of fits with the flick in a way. Yes. But watching that, knowing we're gonna talk about Hellraiser, there this movie, you're right, does not fulfill the 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 rules or the requirements or what have you of those other slashers there's not five kids there's not a huge body count um you know there's Four people three people yeah there's there's really yeah. no there is a virginal character but there's no fool there's no there is kind of like a like and they call it the whore in in the cabin in the woods there is kind of that character with um uh, julie julie yeah but like it's not a singular right yeah. like and our killer is not really pre- our our 
our slasher villains. You know, we don't have a Jason. We don't right, have a, a Frank is the villain in this one. The the Cenobites aren't even like the big bad. They're these Mm-mm. weird harbingers. They are the mm-hmm. acolytes, right? They're it's Frank is the one that's racking up the death count. Right. The Cenobites are there because he summoned them. And that's what he wanted. Right. So it's 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 this, it lives in this weird space. You can't say that like it's not Freddy Krueger versus Pinhead as far as like you're you're it's Frank. Frank is the fucking bad yeah bad guy he's the bad guy in this and i we don't even get centibytes until like we get centibytes at the very beginning and then not until like the third act starts to roll around right yeah like we see the we see the centibytes right away and then we're kind of hungry for him for like a like 20 minutes but then the movie make is so compelling and so gruesome on its own that you kind of forget about the centibytes until they pop back in and then you're like oh again shit's going down um yeah what's up uh, I just want to say I would really love to see like a Cenobites version of Dark City, like Ooh! where we get to see twenty four seven. Yeah, oh my god. Some of the later movies do try to do that. It's and it's just not executed well. But I think right. in the right hands that that could be amazing. Um, so let's jump right into the beginning. The movie starts with. The box, Lamarchand's box. Um, this particular one, and by the way, I when I first watched these films, I did the whole deep dive, and there's all the lore, and there's you know, uh, Cold Heart Canyon, and all these all these books that uh, are the the Scarlet Gospels, and all these like Clive Barker extended universe thing, and there are multiple puzzle boxes. Right. So one of my favorite things about Cabin in the Woods is the fan theory that the the weird Cenobite character that's in there in that circular puzzle box. That's just another of the Lamarchand boxes, a different puzzle box, and that's a canonical Cenobite that we see in the cabin in the woods. I mean, I buy it. Yeah, I'm down. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. But personally, like objects in film, like you know, famous movie artifacts. People always talk about like um, you know the Ark of the Covenant or Indiana Jones's bullwhip or like these these things, these objects that play a big role. In, on screen or in film cool props things like that the ppk yeah 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 james bond's walter ppk or like even you know w- weirder stuff i think of all of the like movie objects of all the like mm-hmm. stuff you see on screen i think the puzzle box in hellraiser is my favorite object ever because it seems to have there's so much mystery surrounding it it seems to have such an it seems so ancient so powerful mm-hmm. so there's something about now, obviously, you know, in uh, the Hellbound Heart, the puzzle box is much more difficult to get open than it is in these <laughs> movies. Right. Like in this movie, it's like, oh, it's if like, I, beep, boop, boop, yeah, you like, and it like does half of it for you. <laughs> right, right. You like, you twist the box one way, and then it's like, and let's auto complete the rest of this. It's not any more complex than getting a candy out of your Pez dispenser. It's like, oh. I did it. Yeah, they're like, how do you get this click? Oh, there we go. Got it. Got it. Got it. Don't worry. It's fine. In the original book, they talk about how Frank, it took eight hours for Frank to open the first, and it take it takes him like, we, like, like days of just intense, focused, like ritualistic concentration to get it open enough to where the Cenobites, and the Cenobites don't show up immediately. They start to bleed in. As the box opens more and more, as like that that you know the the distance between the two 
worlds becomes thinner in a way. Right. And in this one, it's like Frank's like, okay, I'm going to spin my finger around the click, 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 bang, and the Cenobites are there. Um, but damn, I, I since I saw this movie for the first time, I have wanted one of the replica Etsy Lamarchand puzzle boxes. Yep. Some of the fan made boxes are pretty goddamn intricate. Um, what do you guys feel about? How do you guys feel about the puzzle box? Uh, not trope, but the that thing. What do you think about the puzzle box as the method of summoning these demons? I love it. It's it's like you said. It's one of those things where it's a, like an icon of cinema. It's it's the I put it right up there with like uh, with Anakin's lightsaber, the one that Luke gets in A New Hope. Like that hilt, that that thing that you put on a that's Luke's lightsaber. Right. Like that's fucking incredible. But I would have a replica of Luke's like Luke's lightsaber in my house mm. and wouldn't feel like I, I would be fine with it. Right. If I bought some ran, a fan made replica puzzle box from someone on Etsy, I would be terrified to have it in my home. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any, do you have any feelings about the puzzle box one way or the other? Not, I, I think it's amazing. It's definitely one of the most, distinctive props if you see it you mm-hmm. know exactly what it is it's like where it's from the yeah. fact that the, you can throw it into the cabin in the woods and you know not like, even exactly the same thing but the same idea right the concept of you have to open a puzzle and it's going to summon this fucked up shit one of the things i love about the puzzle box is in all these other movies we have victims right mm-hmm. we have people who are like random victims of violence but in order for frank to be We'll talk about what happens to Frank at the beginning of the movie, but in order for for Frank to die initially, for Frank to be horribly killed, he has to scour the earth for this object, and then he has to raise colossal a colossal sum of money to purchase it, and then he has to do an extremely protracted ritual in order to open this box. It's Spe- a Greek trial. Yes, but well. To maybe we, I'm glad we watched the cabin in the woods last night because mm-hmm. it's kind of that like behind the mask rise of Leslie Vernon thing where oh, it sure. refreshes your knowledge of of the sort of tropes and rules of horror movies. And I love that in a in a very real way, the puzzle box means that you have to choose. Not only do you have to choose, you know, you oh I went down the left path rather than the right. You have to fucking work to get this thing open. And the best part about this puzzle box is because there's so much work involved to obtain it, to find it, obtain it, open it, you also know what you're doing. This isn't just like, oh, I like puzzles and I found this rare puzzle box. You're like, this puzzle will summon Cenobites to to elevate me to this ultimate realms of pleasure beyond any... Like, you are aware of what you're doing, and that kind of makes you complicit. The Hellraiser universe is a very dirty gray place. Yes. You know, it's hard to find heroes in these movies. Everyone's a little fucked up. Yeah. Another thing that I really like about the Hellraiser movies that I think is at least partially because of this whole, I've heard of this legendary thing that will summon the devil, you know, or, you know, in broad terms, summon these demons to torment me. Um, You know, actually, I forgot where I was going with that. Anyway. but Oh, no, they, they leave you feeling, these movies leave you feeling bummed kind of yeah oh, you know yeah, like there's no the hat the the ending is not like oh my gosh they, they they got away she's she she did it she put the demons back it's like fuck yeah you feel they're pretty bleak like yeah the, very the, bleak the mm-hmm. sheer amount of like 
cruel torment and violence and all like these concepts of you see like demons come out of hell all the time but in like jason goes to hell you know and the demons come up and you're like oh right on cool demons when these demons come up you're like this is probably what hell would really be like yep you know what i mean it's More terrifying Constantini man. demons right yeah kind of kind of in that that vein um so we get I love the way this is shot and how well thought out this is for a fairly low budget movie from the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, when Frank finally gets the box at the beginning, he kneels in a, you know, he's doing like the sacred ritual, but I love the decision rather than, you know, you the pentagram and the five candles or like the magic circle and the candles around the perimeter. He mm-hmm. puts himself in a very in small a box. box of candles. Yeah. So he's like working this box inside the box I loved that. And then I actually I like how this movie one, two, skip a few jumps us into the the visual gore because as soon as he gets that box popped, we get he's we get hooks we get, in, we, we get dicks on poles. I mean, you know. Yes. <laughs> you, so you saw the dick too. Bird pointed it out to me this time. I missed it. <laughs> but uh I like that we go right from zero to chains flying out of the darkness, hooks mm. in the skin, we get blood, we're getting like pretty aggressive in your face so there's no like smoke and here come the cenobites and no. let us talk about what we're going to do to you it's just like bam chains bam skin getting torn the fuck off and frank is we get, screaming we get just the, we get just the slightest hint of lead in with the the light coming in through the the beautiful shots of yes. the lights coming in through oh, yeah. the blinds and gorgeous you know you know something is coming and a little bit of smoke that's it. That's all the lead in we get. And then, like you said, it's chains out of the darkness and fish hooks in your face. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yes. Um, so in the in the in the original book, Frank's Frank's torment is really interesting because it starts with just they, they the Cenobites show up and they're like, hey, you summoned us. We're the you know, um, they call like the pinhead is like the high priest of the, mm-hmm. the black order or whatever. Yep. And they're like, what you you probably summoned us to like give you the ultimate experience. The order the order of the gash is the, actually the Right. So he's the high priest of the order of the gash. But he's like they're he's like, I'm here for pleasure. Rock me with some pleasure, bro. And they're like, Very well, we'll give you the ultimate experience in, in sensation or whatever. And what the Cenobites do first, before they start fucking him up, like physically, they just turn all of his senses sight smell taste hearing touch they turn every sense up to a thousand he can hear like the heartbeat of flies in the attic like or you know like and it drives him mad it's like 10 pages of him like he can't bear the feeling of his clothes because every time he moves is like it sends these rippling shock waves of and this he's like vomiting with the smell of just like you know dust of yeah like he can feel dust motes hitting like his nose hairs and it's like giving him like blinding migraines and shit and it's just you could never do that for film because it's all about sensation and stuff sensation yeah but i feel like by skipping to skipping all that and jumping right to like the complete obliteration of frank as a as a being you know like frank is reduced to like meat nailed to a post and like pudding on the ground like meat yeah, pie on a very slippery there's, there's nothing he's been completely mangled it's it's like he went through a meat grinder yeah it's, and I, then put on display it's fucked and there's there, there's chunks of him hanging on hooks i love that i i think that post that spinning post with bits of him nailed to it is one of the most again like in a movie that already is loaded with iconic things like 
pinhead, the the Lamarchand's box, the chains, you know, like this room, this charnel house that that the, the special effects guy, Bob Keen, I'm gonna keep saying that fucker's mm-hmm. name for the rest of this episode. But that like incredible charnel house and the particularly that post. Yeah. That post to me feels And it's spinning. in motion, it's spinning, it's like the whole Right. It doesn't I mean it would still work if it was just a post and gross stuff like or all of his guts like nailed to a wall or a post that's stationary, but the fact that it's in motion and spinning and right. his his pieces are like dangling and moving. <laughs> is this and... the wiggly dick finger? Is this that... is the wiggly dick finger. I'm just giving you the wiggly dick finger. And congratulations, Frank, by the way. Well done. Yeah. And... Well, maybe you know, it's it's an eviscerated penis, so maybe some of that length is like the deep dick, you know, that's it down in the be. in the gungeon. <laughs> Enter the gungeon. Enter and the the scene of I think it's it's the Grace Kirby Cenobite, we pussy neck, I think they call her. Um mm-hmm. when she's walking not in the film, that's what I think what fans call her. Yeah. But um when she's like walking when she's like wading through Frank to try and find pieces of his face. And then she like, oh god, there's that fucking amazing moment where like the they have all these like flayed chunks of his face, and it's not just like his whole. It's not like leather face. They didn't take it off in one piece. They're like cut it. Chunks of face. It's like yeah, chunks of face, which you assume are like torn apart by the chains, and they kind of like do a little like five piece, you know, puzzle puzzle. Do a little face puzzle, and she's like, is this? Do you have a nose? I need an. I need a. I've got the edge pieces, but I'm missing right. this chunk in the middle. And the- <laughs> so I hate it when I'm missing a corner piece. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck. How can I? Be- oh, there Half it is. an ear. There, yeah. I found it. It was upside down. I was looking at the right side. There right. You just hear from across the room, Doug Bradley's like, I found it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a cheek. Do you have a thing? Do, like, do, do you have one? I'm missing a ball. Can you find the ball? Yeah. <laughs> but, um. That's the little bit of fun that they get to have after they've done something. <laughs> work, work, work. Right, you guys want to do a puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> and it's in keeping with the whole puzzle theme, you know? Like, right, right. They're uh, like, but it's... <laughs> puzzle lords. <laughs> <laughs> I did a 15,000 piece the other day in two hours. Proud of myself. <laughs> Taking fucking pictures of it and posting it on Facebook. 500 likes and I'll do a 20,000 piece puzzle. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, pussy neck, will you? I got my fingers caught in a finger finger trap. <laughs> <laughs> I made this finger skin finger trap and I made it too good. Can you help Come me on, out? man. It'd be, it would be a fucking dick finger trap, yeah, man. You know that. I've got, I'm Ooh. stuck in a foreskin finger trap. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, dude, I I love that. So I don't know if you guys you've seen you've both seen the movie. So did either of you when we saw this? It's really gross. The like the 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 goop that Frank is reduced to. When we saw that charnel house, did either of you think of House by the Cemetery and all the yep. fucking body parts chopped up on the workbench? I oh, thought about House by the Cemetery yeah. many times during this movie. So did I, man. It, it Look, House by the Cemetery is not nearly as well made as this, but it does kind of have that same kind of 80s feel, really gory. It would make a very interesting double feature, actually, to either start with House and then do uh, either either way that you do them. Right. Whichever one you watch first, that would be a very interesting double feature. 
I think the best. Oh, go ahead, Bird. It's not related. <laughs> oh, okay. I think the best way to do that double feature, right? You start with the you start with the blowout. You start with the great flick, and then you end with the weak one, kind of like we did at your bachelor party, where we're like watching all the Conan flicks. And then by the time that you're like barely able to keep your eyes open because you're all drunk and there was like way too much weed at that bachelor party, mm-hmm. then you throw on video drum. Actually, we did it backwards at your bachelor party, but I think sure that did. you can fall asleep during House by the Cemetery, but you should not fall asleep watching Hellraiser. True. You don't want those dreams. Um, I wanted to talk about that uh, that room real quick. Yeah, yeah. I love how it kind of feels like an art installation. Like a Francis Bacon art installation. And I totally see how in the second film, I'm talking forward a little bit here, how we end up with that piece of art thing that the club owner guy ends up with. Like, I get how we get there from this movie to Mm -hmm. the next movie. Totally. Uh, The first couple in particular, maybe all the way to three. I haven't seen three in a while, but I feel like there is a lot of continuity between films. Like Hellraiser 2 picks up at the literal end of this movie like there i think it's like people are like in the house examining like the carnage and shit and then hellraiser 2 starts um i wanted to talk about really quickly kind of quickly some of the metaphors of this charnel house and how the cenobites what the cenobites are doing and how they do it because i feel like there's a metaphor for what frank is reduced to because they don't just, like, cut them up and leave them all over the floor, which they could have done. Nope, they clean them up, save... Well, go ahead. Well, the, the act of nailing parts of him to this post, I feel, is like a very bleak Cenobite joke. Or, like, a bleak Cenobite statement. You know, this feels very... This whole movie feels very ritualistic. You want to read their artist statement? I, I kind of think I know what their artist <laughs> statement would be. You know what I mean? Like, by nailing chunks of frank to a post in front of him while they're like doing all this shit to him that post is like this is a look frank's a human and here's all of the human parts of frank nailed to an upright structure and i think it's important that it's in motion you know Mm -hmm. it's like look it's animated meat is that not frank Mm. oh fuck you know what i mean yeah like just flesh moving around yeah Mm -hmm. like there's something there about like the nature of humanity and what humans are and the nature of existence the nature of being but it's so bleak and so dark that it's it's almost difficult to contemplate what that could mean without getting kind of fucked up in your head well yeah well it's because it's such a shocking thing to see and your brain kind of dial tones a little bit when you're seeing it oh yeah there's a little there's a little bit of like cognitive flatline that happens when you see an image like that Right. Just, you know, because you can't quite comprehend it, but you can enough to be like grossed out. Super grossed out. (laughs) One of the scariest things about that that art installation charnel house, um, Mm -hmm. you know, temple of the gash or whatever. One of the scariest things is that there's nothing recognizably human left in there. There's no skeleton. There's no flayed body. So you can't point and be like, look, oh, God, there's Frank's remains just a dick yeah he's been <laughs> nothing but that hog you know they're like oh my god who oh look at that dick that's clearly frank but but you know like but no i, get, I hear you though to, yeah. to see a body to see a a, a being I, I don't know the right way to say it but to see a being reduced to like nothing recognizable left until they put together face puzzle <laughs> at the end that's really horrifying that's you're talking about complete and total obliteration and I was kind of wondering if this had some magical overtones as well about the destruction of the ego, you know, because Frank ultimately does become reborn. 
anyway, there's so much going on in this, like, 87 flick that the other slashers, once you see Hellraiser, the other slashers kind of start to, you're like, they I mean, feel cute. They do. Like, they, Aw, aren't you cute? Aww. And look, I'm not saying that they're they're shallow or anything like that. I'm a huge fan of all these franchises, but they kind of do feel like like kid gloves horror movies after you watch Hellraiser. This is smarter. This movie's smarter than those movies. This movie's deeper than those movies, you know? Yep. I fucking love it. Um, do you guys want to talk about the the conceit of the Cenobites, which is humans Humans go looking for the Cenobites to experience ultimate pleasure. That's the whole thing about them. And then when the Cenobites show up, that's what the Cenobites say they're giving you. They're yeah. like, oh yeah, you wanted the, the furthest reaches of like intense pleasure, of like the, the furthest reaches of sensory experience. We'll give that to you. Here we go. And then it's your, your life just becomes this like beyond extreme pain. Oh, I Get how they 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 call it. It's the, the the your travels in the far reaches of experience. We or are like we're that. explorers in the far reaches of experience. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah. It's Fuck, man. It's amazing. And then there's that's the same. That's actually the same uh, quote where they say, you know, we're angels angels to some, to some demons to others. No, we're demons to some angels to others. Yeah, it's it's that that way, which I love. You know it. Yeah. Anyway, there's that's where that quote comes up is when he's explaining to the daughter. Julia is the wife. Who's the daughter? Uh, Kirsten. Kirsten. Yeah. When they're talking to Kirsten, they're explaining. Kirsty. Sorry, it's it's a it's a weird like Kirsty. Kirsty. Well, that that's who they're when they're explaining to her who they are. They explain it as like we're they don't say like we're torturous demon monsters from hell. They're like we're explorers in the far reaches of experience, and we find out summoned us right. Yeah, we're demons to some, but angels to others. Like there are people we don't ever just show up and fucking kill people. People call us to do what we do to them, and then we do that thing. And if they don't like it, they should have done their homework a little more. You know, like exactly. So what do you guys? How do you guys feel about that? I know it's ten, we just hit ten a.m. I don't know if it's too early to start talking about BDSM, but uh... <laughs> no. But that's I mean that, that writing's on the wall there for like they're leather clad. They've got their their some of them can't they, their eyes are covered or their mouth is is they can't speak. So there's a lo- there's a lot of that. Right, and Clive Barker's very open about that, that. That this idea is one of the things he was exploring when he wrote the original novella. Is where is the line between pleasure and pl- and pain? Can you blur or erase that line? At what point do you just become sort of um, like a connoisseur of ex- sensory experience, where like mm-hmm. I'm f- I'm feeling like this agony that I've never felt before, and just because you're so, all of your senses are so burned out from pleasure, we find out for early on Frank is a hedonist who's been fucking his way around the world, and, you know, he's done everything. He's done every permutation of sex you can imagine. In the book, they're very explicit. They're like, you know, 20, he's 20 women at a time. He's done this heinous shit. He's done, he's gone to countries to indulge his, his furthest fantasies, and it's, none of it is touching him anymore. Like, it, right. it just can't reach him. So that's why he calls the Cenobites. He's like, I need more. He's feeding that addiction, you know, and he gets much more than he bargained for. This is one of the conceits that I love is that the Cenobites portray what they're doing as like a like a almost like a it's not really a sexual act, but it's definitely an erotic act 
or uh, something like that. What do you do? You have any take on this, or did you never read the movie that way? I guess if you define experience by simply doing things that you've never done before, and everyone tries to avoid pain as much as possible, then diving into that deep end would be the most experiential thing that you could do. Yeah. So, yeah. In a way, yeah, go ahead. Do you have Do you have any thoughts on that, Carl? Yeah, I I like I like what Bird just said because we as humans we try to avoid pain as much as possible, but that's one of our greatest sensations is pain, right? It, one so, of our most intense sensations. Intense mm-hmm. sensations, right? So right. to to get to that point where that that new experience by doing something you haven't done before is that that's insane. That's like fucking. I can't even. I can barely wrap my brain around that whole like thought. It's wild. The way that I the way that I have thought about the Cenobites for a couple of years. Oh, I like I like your wild <laughs> fingers. <Spooky> fingers. <laughs> one of the the ways one of the ways that I've thought about the Cenobites since I first encountered this concept. I think the first time I ever experienced Hellraiser was the comics, which are great, by the way. If you've never read the Hellraiser comics, they're awesome. Um, but, and you know, from the, from the jump, this concept always felt to me like if you're an, you know, if you're a, a lover of art, you start with like, you're like, oh, I love Van Gogh. I love him. He's great. Oh, look over here. We've got a Rembrandt. But then there's a certain point where like the impressionists aren't doing it for you. So you go to Picasso and then Picasso's mm-hmm. like becoming boring. So now you start going into minimalism and you're like, you're getting, you're stripping away more and more of the form. You know, where you're like, okay, I need to see something abstract. Now I just need to see a whole canvas that's just blue. Now I just need to see an unpainted canvas. And at what point are you like such a, such a curator of – now I'm switching back to Hellraiser – such a curator of sensory experience where you're like, I've had a billion blowjobs. I've had a million – I've had sex with a million women and like I'm so bored with this. You know, like uh, one of the things – in my Carl and my, I'm 30 years old. I've I've had some <laughs> I've had some experiences, but like the first time that you, you know, like the first to start really soft. The first time that someone spanks you and you're like, ah, this is not only mentally stimulating because it's weird and naughty and dirty, but that little sting, something mm-hmm. about that sting and associating that with what you know this sexual thing that you're doing it's the hot wax the first time you're like whoa holy shit that's yeah exact hot wax is a great example because it is painful and it's surprising and shocking and sharp you're like holy shit what the fuck and yet you know when you're looking up at you know erotic you know it's it's in such an erotic context that your brain immediately starts to go there and and okay this is a new wow this is new the novelty of it is exciting the intensity of the sensation is very exciting. It's intoxicating. You know, um, something about the helplessness of bondage. You know, the first time your brain is like, no, 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 I, I should be able to move. I need to get out. I'm helpless. But then another part of your brain is like, yeah, but have you never been helpless before? This is kind of, this is kind of intense. Right. And Seeking out things that are more and more challenging, pu- pushing your own personal boundaries. Right. And I, I obviously, I'm way, I I really, really support the BDSM community. I think it's a lot of fun. It totally is. It's a really rewarding and great sexual experience. uh, If you're, you know, doing it safely with the right partner. With Hellraiser, I think it has this really dark edge. I'm not in any way, obviously, equating BDSM and Cenobites. That's fucked up. (laughs) But what what I'm saying is, like, it's like BDSM with the wrong headspace, 
you know, yeah. is kind of where the because of BDSM, you walk away and that was a great experience and holy shit, that was incredible. Here you don't. Right. This is your piece is nailed to a fucking pole. Right, right. But like it, it you can almost kind of see Clive Barker's like thought experiment going where he's like, well, yeah. okay, what's the most extreme BDSM thing I can think of? Now, that guy, if he got bored of that, where would he go next? Mm-hmm. It's like watching a watching what the uh, it's well, uh, what's the like a con like I used the word connoisseur earlier. Yeah, like if you were a connoisseur of of wines, but you tasted every grape vintage in the world. At what point, if you blow that that timeline out to infinity, at what point if you're just or better yet, an Epicurean, someone who just likes food, tastes and food, not specifically wine, but just flavors are their thing. Yep. At what point do you start? Bumping into the stinky cheeses. At what point do you start bumping into, like, eating mold? And which is true that people do that, or like fermented things. Or at what point do you eat a seagull that's been inside a seal's carcass for a year? There are people who are like, I need to seek that out because there's nothing. Or a what are those? You've egg- tasted everything, yeah. Right, right. And when you've tasted everything, and your whole thing is tasting things, you have to keep going. It's it's really a story of like addiction gone too far or obsession that's the word that keeps coming to mind is addiction it's it's just like drug abuse like you you do you do your first line of cocaine and you're like oh my god this is the best thing ever but you can't possibly do any more than that little bit and then suddenly you you you're putting just pounds of in your face and it doesn't do anything then you seek that next thing it's a whole argument of why like they didn't want to legalize marijuana it's a gateway drug right right it's that sort. It is the same sort of thing. You'd be the obsession, the 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 little bit that worked bef- is not working for you anymore. So now you have to go. Yeah. Now that thing isn't even working at all, no matter how much you fucking put into yourself. So now what's the next thing? Yeah, it's right. fucking. This movie's work. This work. This movie's clicking over on a lot of levels. Right, for, for sure. sure. And putting it in its historical context, Clive Barker, a gay man. Um, growing up in the 70s and 80s as uh, an overt part of the club scene, he's very open about his like drug use and partying. Um, you can see how he would he would have you know you can see where he's coming from where he's like, okay, mm-hmm. he's looking around and maybe maybe he's seeing people like, oh, the coke's not working so they went to meth or they used to drink a lot, but it wasn't it wasn't enough so now they're heroin you know it is that yeah. that sort of escalation as you become numb to stimuli you know like how do you the party last night was great how do we make it go further and then you blow that timeline out to infinity and you end up at Cenobites. yeah it's fucking brilliant i adore this movie i'm a big clive barker fan too like he's he's an excellent writer not just a great filmmaker yep um do you have any you were looking at me like you want nope, to i'm just watching okay um <laughs> So let's see the next the next thing in the movie. So that was kind of broad strokes. I wanted to get talk about the Cenobites in that way, but now mm-hmm. I want to talk about the hobo eating. Well, it's very it's like super important to understand that whole philosophy and like from from where it's to, to, to be able to talk about the rest of the stuff, the rest of the movie, right? So right, yeah, you got to lay the groundwork for what we're talking about. Um, what did you think of the most striking homeless man in the history of the world? I think he might be uh, almost as creepy as a homeless person behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive. It's fucking weird, man. Yeah. Um, there's something about how fucking blue his eyes are. You know, like yeah. how like piercingly clear. Was it you, Bird? I think Bird was saying like d- his eyes are really clear. 
yeah, for a for like a homeless person, you know. You're not like but, so, or anything. You ready for a hot take? Yeah, hit me. Hot take for you. Uh, I think that this character and his resolution are the weakest part of the whole movie. I don't think that you need it. I agree, a hundred percent. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. I, I liked this character the first couple times you see him because he's mysterious. It's like, what's going on? And for a minute, you don't think he's going to pay off. You're like, oh, I guess we're just going to let him ride, which I'm, let o- him ride. I'm okay yeah. with. Like, kind of sure. like, you know, the the crazy, scary, homeless guy behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive. You know, like, yep. he's he doesn't really resolve, but he's very fucking scary. Yes. And it creates this, it creates atmosphere. So I was okay mm-hmm. with that. Him turning into a fucking uh, flame dragon. Bone dragon. Bone dragon, yeah. Bone dragon. Him yeah. turning into bone dragon. I was like, what the fuck? It is definitely yep. the moment where the, this it doesn't. Uh, this movie does not end strong. It doesn't. It does not. It's, it's unfortunate. The last five minutes are just like, what the fuck happened? Right. Just just know it's coming. Bear it. Make your way through it. It's the there. It's goof, dude. The the fucking bone dragon like flying the well, box back to his the master. Engineer or whatever that that's attacking him at the door is fucking goofy as shit. Straight up punches Steve in the face. Like <laughs> it's really goofy. The end of this movie is really fucking goofy. Like, yeah, yeah. Some the but but this the rest of the film is so strong. I wouldn't take away the rest of the I mean some movies the ending is so goofy it ruins the entire experience. Right. It's not that is not the case here. You got 5 minutes of just what the fuck is this is dumb yeah, but like, it doesn't ruin it like like the third act of Die Another Day that ruins the entire rest of the movie. Anyways, the, I'm watching the, a lot of James Bond movies. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the closing shot is brilliant. Like you know, like that we're the we're, puzzle box pull in the yeah. Well, uh, I mean the the puzzle box on the table in the Arab market, yes, and it's yes. back. It's right back where it was. It's the same guy, and we get the we and it's a new guy out shopping for it, and we get the you know what's your what's your pleasure, what's sir? your pleasure, sir? We go right back to that. Honestly, g- cut out all the shit where like where Kirsty goes goes and takes the puzzle box to like the set of Mad Max and burns it in a fire. You yeah. know, like, it's like a, I'm not sure where we're supposed to be at the end of is this. It the, did the house burn down and turn to rubble is, but then they're not in the middle of a neighborhood. No, they're under an overpass. Is this just like a, is this like is hobo fire? Yeah. It's like party? an art. It's like an arsonist, like practice ground or something. There's fires <laughs> everywhere. And it's really confusing because we did just see a house burn down. So we're like, oh, we're, we're in the wreckage of the house. And then you're like, wait, there's the highway. There's a city. Right. There's no other houses. They just went to like, oh, Unless we got They bought this awful house in, right next well, to no, the Well, no, but we, we see the house in a residential neighborhood. So like maybe, maybe it's like, you know, they pull the box out of the fire and then Kirsty's like, we got to get rid of this. I know just the place. And then she takes him to, you know, like. I, I know a blue-eyed hobo. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this blue-eyed hobo took me to fire overpass. We'll go there. If you just cut at the end of the house fire, right? End of the house fire. And then, like, Kirsty's sobbing and we kind of fade to black. And then in the darkness, you know, you hear, you know, you hear sit down and, like, it's. I've, you're a hard man to find. Oh, yes, I am. And it sort of fades back in, and you hear those market sounds fade back in, and yeah. we end with the puzzle box mysteriously and inexplicably back in that Arab market, and that dude goes, so what is your pleasure, sir? You know, but give me that. Yep. I don't need to know how the box gets back to this dude. I just need to know that it does. You know what I mean? The bone dragon flew it to the Arab market. 
No, I'm going to retcon that out. Yeah. In my brain, there is no bone dragon. There's just a creepy, unexplained, gross, blue-eyed hobo who is just like... What, eating what? crickets. Eating crickets in a pet store. <laughs> munch, 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 munch. That was... That was pretty gnarly. I liked yeah. that. I liked the hobo those eating crickets, crickets. Those crickets creep me out more than the hobo does. They just, they're giant fucking they the coloration. Of, they just everything. look like evil crickets. I don't know. It's fucking weird. And I love that as he's mad props to this actor, like as he's putting the crickets into his mouth, they're like crawling all over his hand and down his, his arm. They're in his, his beard. They're on his face. To just, to just like, because he's only getting like three crickets out of 20. And the rest are just becoming part of his look, <laughs> you know? Snacks for later. He's just going to carry him along with right, him. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, you don't just have to pay for the crickets you eat. You got to pay for the crickets you eat, take to eat later, too, eat buddy. Right. <laughs> well, I only ate 10 crickets. Well, you, you got 30 in, on your face. <laughs> so, um, this. Do you think you pay for them by piece or by weight? By weight. I think it's by weight with crickets. They got a special deal with, with Greg the Blue-Eyed Hobo. They're like, ah, he's coming in. Get him a pound ba- pound, a paper pound bag of crickets. <laughs> Greg, we've got your back. No snacking. He's snacking. Son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, take some crickets out of the bag. We're going to try and break even on this one. All right, that'll be 20 cents. <laughs> it's like the worst Friday ever. Um, But speaking of just like that gross out of the hobo eating crickets... This is a gross movie, and one of the grossest things about it is their use of actual bugs. When they see the aftermath of Frank's house, and there's the mm. he goes into the kitchen, and there's like maggots and shit in the a cockroach crawling out of the maggots was about that's barf worthy, man. Oh. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's You're like oh maggots, gross. Why are they moving so weird? Oh, a cockroach is crawling up out of the mass. So oh, fucking. Do you think? Do you think on the day they're like, all right, well, we got this moldy sandwich that we left out on the counter for two weeks, Clive Barker. Um, so you just want us to dump maggots on top of that, and you can just see Clive Barker sitting there, and he goes, "Put a cockroach on the sandwich and then cover it with maggots." Thank you. And those are the decisions that directors are there to make. You know exactly. (laughs) You know what the the first thought I had when uh, when Larry or whoever Larry the dad he walks into the kitchen and sees all that. Mm -hmm. I half expected Withnell to come around the corner and say, "We need booze." (laughs) I wanted him to go upstairs to Julia and be like, "I think we should go outside. I feel unusual. (laughs) (laughs) I feel unusual. Look at this fucking kitchen. The gloves. The gloves. We mustn't do anything without gloves. (laughs) You know, like no shit. If ever." Yeah, this this kitchen rivals the Whitnell kitchen for sure. Sure does. Um, I love the weird because we find out that Frank has been crashing here at this house that he and his brother. Um, it's his house. That's the weirdest thing. That's the weirdest thing about this whole Frank. This is Frank's house. He lives there, but he's squatting there. Right, like right. He's not living there. He's got his mattress on the floor upstairs. A fucking um, Julia even says, "Do we have squatters?" It, because who that's so fucking weird uh, I, I love it it's weird as fuck i got a cool vibe out of this movie out of this particular bit though where frank is squatting i, I liked this because if you've read i mean having read a bunch of burrows william william s burrows this feels like a junkie move mm-hmm. like you go and squat in your own house because you don't he doesn't have furniture you know he doesn't have stuff to move in he's been jet setting around the world conning right. people and doing drugs and having sex and hunting down this weird mysterious puzzle but like this is not a dude who's like i wonder where i'll put the armoire where i move into my house you know he's like 
He's just got his futon and his. I, it it feels really witchy. It looks like a like a witchy hobo crash pad. It looks and, stinky. It does look stinky. It's definitely bed bugs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like when after a full night's sleep, body on, lice for real. Yeah, yeah. At the end of a night's sleep on that futon, you can just you can run your hand up your back to get the grease for your eggs in the morning. Like, uh, it's pretty pretty nasty. <laughs> um. I smelled itch. that. Just... <laughs> <laughs> what is um God, what's his what's Frank's brother's name? I know Julia. Larry. 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 And I think it's it's telling that Larry is kind of so forgettable. He's like It's wonderful that he's so just like the dumb dad like, "Oh, come and stay with us." Like he's just this nice dude. He's kind of a fop. Like like he's not very he yeah, he's he's just everyone sort of runs over him like weak. his wife in particular. He's weak. Yeah, yeah. He, I can't think of a good quippy way to describe him, but he is. He's kind of like this, like just a vanilla, milk toast. like yeah, milk toast. He's like three quarters of a person, you know. Like he's just and not and not, he's written that way. This is not a criticism exactly. of that character of the like writing or anything. Like the character is just like. He's such a bland fart of a dude. You can you can you can uh, you can sort of wrap up his character in in the um in the in the scene where he's watching boxing and she's watching it with him and he's like into it and he's like oh we don't have to watch this I thought you weren't into boxing you seem to be important. but we can watch something else if you want to and but then he's into it and they're not into it because he doesn't want to like upset his wife because whatever reason that's right. him in a nutshell that scene sort of gives you everything that you need to know about what type of person he is what where where his where he he exists in their relationship right i i love to the dichotomy of him like we've seen what happens when he oh snags his hand on that nail yeah oh. that's oof. that's pretty fucking gross I, all of the effects in this are except for maybe bone dragon um pretty much all the effects in this are fucking awesome and they're yeah. really gross and this is one of those movies where when people get hurt your body hurts where they've been injured like when he catches yeah. his hand you like you like touch your hand you're like oh shit that would i knew it was it my hand started hurting as they're going up the stairs i'm mm-hmm. like because i knew it's coming yeah, i just like Oh God, no! And oh, this hurts. It hurts me. I I like I like the dichotomy that we see in Larry, where he's like, "Oh, I can't look at the blood. I'm gonna faint. I'm gonna faint." You know, like that. And then he's watching boxing. And he's like, "Yeah, get him, get him." Get I didn't him. think that that made sense for his character. I, I thought it did. Like, like he idolized that kind of like masculine, manly mm-hmm. violence, especially having grown up with a brother like Frank, who is. He probably got abused a bunch by his brother. I mean, it's like... Yeah, very likely, you know? Um, But when you have... Like, the Frank character is sort of like like the apotheosis of the negative qualities of very masculine men. You know what I mean? Like, he's brutally violent. He's, uh, he's... He has that, like, suave alpha male charm where he can, like, get any woman he wants because he he's confident, he's attractive, he's in good, you know, he's, but then, yeah, but then he's a very cruel lover, you know, he he's, and selfish, too, he's like, I'm taking my pleasure from you, this is about me, and then when he's done, he's done. Frank's a real piece of shit. Yep. Um, growing up around a dude like that, you can almost see how Larry would be... Larry's not Why that. Why is he afraid of blood? I think it's an important thing. 
Right. If you grew up with a brother like Frank, there's probably a reason why he's afraid of blood. Oh, that had never occurred to me. I just we, always thought it was to draw a, a, un, a comparison. Do you think so? I too? think that's a definitely a fair idea. Interesting. For sure. Um, do you think that Larry and Julia are the worst film yep. couple of all time? It's like you can't even call them a couple. It's the weirdest because there is no. It's all about the pleasure and the experience, which is fine. Uh, but it's I mean, because it comes at such a cost to other people. Larry and Julia. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry and Julia, not Frank and Julia. Yeah, I don't. I don't no, they get have. The a, they should have. They should have gotten out of that relationship fucking ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's a hundred percent. It's a wet noodle, and it's just there's there's nothing there. It's, it's worth. It's horrible. They're hanging on, and that's what makes it sort of real to me. It's like because I've I've seen that, and I've experienced that the hanging on when it's just five years past. It's expiration date. Definitely. Dump, dump the rotten milk down the sink. Rinse out your carton and go shopping, man. Not like, go shop, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Should have been I'm, like a one-night stand. Or not even that. Like, we, we find out, like, so they're together. Larry and Julia are together before Frank enters the picture. So it's not like she knew Frank and then, nope. like, settled for the brother. She married Larry first. And then Frank... Met, sh- met Frank at the wedding. Did they meet nope. at Did they meet at the wedding? Yeah, Frank or? says so. When she's having her flashback to Frank uh, coming to their door and her answering the door, and he's like, "Hi, I'm I'm Frank, brother Frank. I was at your wedding." Right. Oh, right, right. So she they did meet, but it wasn't like a thing. Nope. I feel like it was at the wedding. Fucking him changed her. I like agree. she's a different person after being with him. He this he, is like a- he made her crueler. Yes, this is kind of interesting. So I think you, I think you're totally right. I think having sex with Frank was first taste is free. Yeah, and now she's got mm, she's, shit. She's got some of that addiction. You know what I mean? Like Frank is a hardcore. Let's call it, let's uh, what's what's would be a good word for his addiction? Like he's a he's like a brutal sensualist. You know, like he wants sensory exp- and he gave her a taste of that. It's like the we were talking about BDSM, you know, it's the first time that someone drips a little wax on you and you're like you're either like not for me or you're like what else is there in that toolbox, you know? Like yep. what other chocolates are what are in the can, you know, what other candies are out there that I haven't chocolate tried yet? Chocolate covered crickets. And sometimes you get chocolate covered <laughs> crickets, sometimes you get salty black licorice, but every once in a while mm, that has a little nougat in there. Nougat and needles. I like this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but no, there's that there's that first she gets her first taste of a rough, uh, I love her's Assertive, the wrong word. Assertive, dominant. I, th- I feel like her and Larry have been making love a lot, and now Frank just walked in and fucked her. And now she's yep. like, oh, I don't want that weird thing where Larry cries on me anymore. I want, <laughs> you know, like, oh. I know. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's an upsetting thing to say. But, um, but you know, like. There's there's something about like the first you know that first like real rough crazy fuck where you're like I didn't know it could be like that and now she's yeah. got a taste for it and now she's like oh Larry you f- suck wait where'd your brother go and Frank boop vanishes yeah because we see how far she's willing to go to get another taste of that like well, she murders people with the hammer for Christ's sake oh, oh it's so <laughs> gross too the hammer murder I love that they chose hammer because it gives you some real disgusting opportunities oh yeah like when that that dude's like mouth and face are all knocked off and he's laying on the ground and (laughs) just drooling some goo drooling goo and 
I I love it. Um, speaking of that scene where Julia remembers meeting Frank again for like a first film, late '80s, low budget. This is so beautifully edited. Like the scene of like we're looking at Julia, and when we cut to the reverse. You know, she's upstairs in the attic, mm-hmm. in the room where, you know, Frank will eventually be. She's in the, yeah, the torture room. Right. Well, we get this cool image of, like, you know, she she's remembering, you know, the, the letter, and she's remembering the Frank, and she when she looks to the left, we, like, cut to, we cut to what would be her POV, and it's a door opening into the rain, and we seamlessly cut into the past. It's so beautiful, so beautifully edited, and then during the... So we'll get to well in a moment we'll get to the moment where he uh he's ugh. what do you think I, we're going to get into some straw dogs territory for yeah. for a moment you know it was coming oh yeah so what do we think of the first time that Frank and Julia have sex that that like Frank Julia seduction thing because we see in that we see Julia try assertiveness she kind of like grabs at him, right? And then he grabs her hand and pulls it off of him. And you can see shock in her face. I, you feel like with with her relationship with Larry, when she makes a move, Larry's like, all right, let's go to the bedroom. For oh, sure. This is my lucky night. Woo. Yeah, oh, she's being a little aggressive. Maybe I, oh, I'm getting scared. But with Frank, Frank's like, no, you don't drive. I drive. And Julia's shocked as though she's been slapped, right? And there's this great acting moment where Julia, he's holding her hand and she, he like lets go of it and she takes his hand and just looks at it. She just looks at his hand and I thought, is she looking at his, is she seeing power? Is she seeing a sort of coarse, rough strength that she didn't know she wanted until now. What is she... Why? Why the look at the hand? That seems like a weird choice to me. If it doesn't mean something, then why do that acting bit? Because they really show her, like, look at at Frank's... This hand that's just like... Well, the hand the hand is the thing that touches you, right? That's this is what we touch and feel with. And maybe it's, it's that... It's that I didn't know that I could be... that The touch thing could be like that. Right, Perhaps it I don't almost, know. It almost feels to me like you know with um with like PVC and leather people how like the boot becomes a symbol like shoot mm-hmm. like uh, like leather boots or like leather fetishy shoes can become like a symbol or like a whip can like yeah some dominatrixes will be like you know they don't pick the whip up they make you bring the whip to them or it they'll could be more exploratory like she's she's. We, I've never been touched like that before. What else can this hand do? Right, like she—that's cool. That's a good way to put it. She's she's never thought of a hand as anything other than like a hand, but now she's like, this is this is capable of things that I wasn't aware of, or this stands yeah. for something now. I loved that, but but there is kind of a weird undertone to the whole Frank Julia thing. So the question I want to pose to you two is this rape? Like it, like in Straw Dogs, yeah. or is this something else? Because um, I, I said, that, uh, you know, this is. Very... I don't think we're given enough to to make that. It's it's nebulous, right? Because there isn't there isn't enough evidence one way or the other for what we are what we are privy to. Right. It. it I. I think it's pretty. It also, I think, falls into that sort of uh, Hollywood trope of 
she didn't want it until she wanted it. Right. Kind yeah. It's definitely it's that. Kind of- but we did that. We did talk about that a little during Straw Dogs, which is like, yeah. if you don't want it until you do, you still That's, didn't. You still you didn't still want didn't, it. Right. right exactly. Right. But but again, but Bird's right. Like this is very clearly grinding her gears. You know, she digs this, and you know, and then in. I know that's a bad metaphor. I was like, wait, no. <laughs> but it, it's uh, it's turning her wheel. It's fiddling her fiddle, <laughs> or whatever. But um, but they're they're it's... they're given the con given the content of the rest of the movie, which is all about like dominance and submission and pleasure and pain, and a mo- in a movie of grayscale where everything is gray area. You know, that's I think that's kind of where is the line between fantasy and reality where is the line between pleasure and pain i mean she spent the rest of her life obsessed with getting this experience again yeah and i don't think that that isn't that was treated unfairly or in like that that hollywood lascivious way where it's like no like the you've been watching the james bond movies oh fuck Mm. there's a lot of how about the yeah. old, you know, like, oh, Pussy Galore's Flying Circus? Like, I'm a lesbian. And then R- James Bond is like, why don't I rape you? And then after he rapes Pussy Galore, she's like, I cannot get enough of the dick. I will betray yeah. my boss. Like, he literally rapes a lesbian straight in that movie. It's fucked up. It totally is. But I don't think this is that. It's it, it's on that fine line between rape and rape play. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of is. I know that it, people like to use the term ravishment now to soften that, but I think that the original term is is correct here, for sure. This movie plays with a lot of uncomfortable things and really pushes a lot of boundaries. It's another reason that I put it in a, the horror category. Okay, so so this is so this is an interesting thought that I just had because you know that the two of the criteria for a movie being watchable by my wife Danielle is no clowns, no rape. Right. I would not show her this movie. I, I wouldn't. I this would not get the Daniel Hartley seal of okay to watch. Would you? Because there is such a, because it is that weird. It could be read either way. I think that she would read that as rape, the first time around, or or, or in that like, that's in a, that in that realm where it would be uncomfortable enough for for what her her limits are as far as what she's comfortable watching on film. Sure, maybe I would say really... that that qualifies. Maybe you just really have to take it as an individual. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe it's yeah. just up to the viewer. Well, because it is nebulous, right? It's almost like the teddy bear face. Like you sort of imprint on that what you take away from it is is your own personal thing, right? I don't know. No, yeah. It's, I... it's, it's definitely interesting territory. And it's like, oh, no, it's a spicy meatball. <laughs> it, t- it totally is. Like, like I, I knew this was a hot potato when I chucked it your way. Like, Yeah, but, absolutely. But that's the cool thing about these movies is you can – talk about stuff like this because so their first there's so if you're gonna quote carl on this their first experience together is like a teddy bear yeah it's basically mm. the same thing Imprinting as a... On a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but it's it, there also I, I didn't we didn't mention this but during this whole scene where she's remembering this first liaison with uh with frank and she's remembering the past and and all this stuff Julia, her name becomes part of the score. It's like weaves its way into the soundtrack. It's like Julia, Julia, Julia. Yeah, and it's rhythmic and it works with the music that's playing at that time. 
this is fairly sophisticated audio editing. We've seen a lot of movies from the 70s and 80s where they just slap a behind shit and don't really exactly. think that much about this. But in this movie, the sound of the Cenobites, the wind, the sound of the rain, people's names are whispered. And the whole time, there's not the whole time, but there's often music playing as well. And those sound effects become part of the music. It's like old the um, the first Joy Division album. Where they're like mixing in the sound of <laughs> elevators. Uh, well, I know I just listened to the Joy Division yeah. series yesterday, but that's one of the things they talk about. That's why you're pulling? Well, Ian Kurt, you pull from what you got, but Ian Curtis like recorded the sound of elevators and mixed elevators in, and he like recorded the sound of like doors opening and closing and rain mm-hmm. and wind, and that became part of the music. And I, in this way too, the the world gets woven into like a soundscape thing, and it really blurs the line between reality and it's mm-hmm. it's very cool I, think, I got something that's gonna blur the line oh go ahead Bert. i think max that you need to shout out where you're getting this information from so listeners if you are music fans you absolutely need to go if at all music fans you need to go and listen to a podcast called no dogs in space it's by marcus parks and carolina hidalgo of uh, the last podcast network i don't even i think they're called the last podcast network there it's the people who did last podcast on the left um, one of those hosts and his wife do a music podcast where they do multi-part episode deep dives into right now they're doing punk series so they've done the stooges the slits suicide the cramps joy division um it just and they do like four part episode here's how they met the whole formation of the band and the whole time they play music from those bands and music from bands that inspired those bands awesome it is one of the best podcasts cool. i've ever listened to i've i've been binging it i f- adore it and i just finished the joy division episodes there's it's a four-parter so that's where i'm pulling that from so thank you yeah that was definitely a good shout out to to do um what did you guys think of the blood like welling up through the nail holes oh in the uh in the attic incredible the whole the whole thing the whole resurrection is in- incredible like from the from the blood dripping onto the floor Mm-hmm. to popping up through the nail holes to the floorboards moving to him assembling like i always remember like movies of this time period like american werewolf in paris uh, or london london yeah the first one his transformation scene always sticks out in my brain as some of the most amazing like in camera morphing effect that you right. could ever possibly pull off this is better than than that this is like so fucking there's so much going on technically with with how they're pulling off different effects, seamlessly blending it all together to where it's you're watching somebody reassembling themselves and it's his legs shooting up out of the floorboards and then whipping over like at the knees. I think it's his arms or it's his oh, arms, like, but yeah, because he, he pushes himself up. up out of the yeah yeah. So when you and when you do see him pull himself up out of the floorboards, you realize that his arms shot up like straight out of his back. Yeah, and then they like fall over, you know. Basically, um, Bird has a theory about how this effect was accomplished. I agree. Before we jump, I I don't want to jump past it. Did you notice that Larry snags his hand on that nail at the moment that Julia is remembering the the climax of her and Frank's yep. fucking at the moment of fucking, orgasm? They're fucking on her pristinely laid out wedding wedding dress. dress. <laughs> it's like a whole extra thing. Um, but I like that, that he gets, that he like tears his hand open and there's that like spilling of blood at that moment of climax. Mm-hmm. But Bird had a, Bird has a theory about how they did this like 
melting gloppy corpse that's like pulling itself up out of it's i am so in love with these effects it's yep. astoundingly good oh my God. i wish we did this still yeah and of course there are there are filmmakers who are still doing things like this but this is like a whole other level right right if any any filmmakers are listening and you're like i'm gonna use cg just remember that every pretty much every time carl and i talk about cg it's either that looked like shit garbage i wish it had been practical i love how you think filmmakers listen to this podcast you never know man we got a listener in scotland we have joe, joe dante was ready to remake american werewolf and is like i was gonna use cg but the measuring flicks boys said as garbage time i'm to, gonna time to pull tom savini out of retirement but like but really like anytime we mention it it's like i wish they hadn't used cg it really sucks and makes the movie look like shit or we say, yeah, it wasn't bad. It didn't bug me that much. That's like the <laughs> highest praise we've ever given CG is like, it looks okay. It's fine. It's okay. Like, if that's, you know, like this movie, we could probably do like a mini-sode, like a 30-minute mini-sode just on the practical effects alone. Easily. Most of my notes are about that. Fuck yeah, dude. That, you you want to make a movie that people talk about and remember? Like, build a corpse that's you know like paint multiple layers of goo into it and then Bert, do you, you haven't even mentioned how you thought they did it. i think it's mostly wax and then melted and played in reverse with layers of goo and can we do and... that is something that when we get together to, to start real production meeting on some projects we could do a test on that yeah, I would love See to. What that looks like, yeah, right. Because the the blood in the holes has definitely been pumped up and then played in reverse. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And but that it's just looks better than even more modern films, like uh, the scene that comes to mind, uh, uh, Superman Returns, when Brandon Routh is flying up out of the ship that's sinking. Oh right. And he's carrying the fucking whatever with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's pulling the boat up out of the water. Right. But it's so clearly like just rolled in reverse. It's horrible. <laughs> it's like this. If it, it it's they mask it better. It's I don't know. It's you can tell that it's ran in reverse, but it's. It, it it doesn't look horrible. The way that I think that the only reason you know that it was run in reverse is because there's physically no way to do it the way it looks on screen. So there's right. only it's the, it's actually unless a, he did like stop motion. No, because the when the blood is going down in the nail holes, when you have any liquid, like if I were to pour coffee. Oh no, I'm talking about the corpse. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the blood in particular. Mm-hmm. Like when you see the blood pour up out of the nail holes, it's that thing in magic. They they talk about it with the prestige. The reason that the movie The Prestige would never have happened is um, Penn and Teller were talking about it. They were analyzing magic in movies, and they're saying this is a bad trick, the transported man where it's twins. Oh, because as soon as you see it, you realize the only way it could be done is because it's twins. It's too good. Right, yeah. Well, they're saying if, if if the magic can only be done one way and there's no other alternative, then it's a bad trick because you immediately know how it's done because it could not possibly be done another way. Right. That's the only reason you know that this is reverse footage is because you there's no other way to do that shot exactly you know so it doesn't bother me knowing that no. that's how they did it though because it ha- <clears throat> it gives it that sort of like magical quality totally it's just a little off it's just a little weird looking it's yeah. a little weird on your brain um i i said that i wrote down this is the absolute pinnacle of of gooey practical effects i honestly like the the score the big like as this thing's like <laughs> melting up Why? out of the fucking attic. I know. Sorry, that was right. Yeah, that was that was bad. But like, <laughs> but like, 
seeing that thing come up with the score, with the dramatic lighting, with the beautiful angles mm. and total practical. Like this is this is probably pinnacle practical effects in a movie for me. It's so good. Obviously, there's tons of other ones. The you, thing you is roll, great. You roll this footage now in front of anybody, and it's like incredible. Yeah, this holds it's up. Not, it's not incredible for 1987. It's incredible. Hard stop. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. It's it's totally it's incredible for all time. Yep. Like I would I would stack that effect against anything that I saw in Midsummer. Anything. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I feel like this is one of the movies that if I'd seen it younger, my life trajectory would be totally different. <laughs> I would be in LA right now <laughs> building yeah. this shit. <laughs> Well, good. Hopefully, we can get we can get a. What was I doing? We can hopefully get a second act Stupid where you do parents. you do practical effects for me and Carl's oh. horror movies. Okay. Absolutely. Um. So anyway, yeah. So uh, Larry cuts his hand, and he probably spills. I'm gonna. See, he loses a lot of blood. I'm gonna say like a good quarter cup. Well, yeah. Uh, let's give the, him a full the, cup. The gash is like four in. It's the entire length of of the back of his hand from like the the first knuckle all the way to his wrist. Right. This thing is fucking like. It's gruesome, pretty- and it was the head of a nail that did it, not the pointy right. part. That's, so that thing scooped down in yeah. and through. It's like extra bad. I know that's horrible. Yeah. It's like um, the difference of getting your hand cut on a bandsaw and getting your hand cut on like a lathe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or um, you know, having someone take take like the head of a nail and get it under your skin, Ugh. and then pull. Oh fuck me! God damn it! That's I, just the worst. I know it's not even a cut. It's like he ripped his hand open. Yeah, he ripped it open like it like he created a zipper. It's gross the as back fuck. But I this is this, it, it's never bothered me because this movie's not really about that. But Frank made it all the way to Day of the Dead Zombie with about a cup of blood. Um, yeah, I was, take, oh, I was yeah. saying like Julia probably could have bitten her lip and spit on the floor to finish him off. Man, he does yeah. not have that much but more I'm... blood to go. I know, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but um, but literally, he he needs like a tablespoon more. If this is the rule, so this is so this is my thought on this though. Yeah. So the first couple of drops of blood, the pint or whatever that's that's there, it's it's creating the simple things, the more so that don't that don't require like. For nerves and muscle tissue and sinew and brain and all of that would take more like energy, if you will, to just get the the bones and basic structure. Maybe don't take as much, I, but it takes more time and more. This is more more complex. The regeneration is the more energy. You I think need. I know what you're gonna say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, I have an alternate theory. It's his brother's blood, so <gasps> it's so Fuck! close to his own original blood. Right. So like she she should have just killed bird wins bird wins the podcast congratulations no what's the guy's name larry larry yeah larry or the daughter she hates the daughter so yeah my my note is actually it's the brother's blood that starts the whole thing off had it been someone else's blood would that have even started the resurrection right you know i mean this is the room he died in but like this really does take him a long way down the track and that's what i was thinking just it kind of popped into my head i'm glad bird got it but i was thinking like in magic, you know, we were, we've been watching Game of Thrones, um, and they're always shout out to Game of Thrones listeners. If you haven't seen, it, it's a television show from a few years back. God damn it! <laughs> we're but, just watching it for the first time. But yeah, so we're like, we just finished season five, and we keep seeing this thing where um, Lady Melisandre or whatever it is, the red the red woman, 
she's yep. always trying to like have um, Stannis Baratheon kill royalty. She's like, King's blood is very powerful. Like, oh, we can we can execute prisoners, but if you want to get shit done, King's blood. Right. It's kind of that thing. It's like your brother's blood will get you back in the world. I love. Once we get Frank back and he's got that kind of like the Bud makeup from Day of the Dead, you know, he's kind of like, mm. oh, he's looking all better than Bud, man, because it's he's sparkly. He's like a goddamn vampire. There's so much glitter to him and glisten and yeah. drippy and just they he like... feels more alive. Bud is great, though. I don't want to take anything away from Bud. Yeah, but, it... but the fact that he is goo, he's gooing. He's a lot. It's Ugh. one of my he's gloppy. <laughs> One of my favorite Frank things throughout this movie is watching him soak through shirts. That is so – the choice to do that is so brilliant Mm -hmm. and so disgusting. Like he is just this muscle – he's just muscle and flesh and blech. Right. But he's still going to dress up in a suit, but it it becomes disgusting with him because he seeps through his – he is not human. And I think that's the, 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 the thing that my brain is ticking over with. Frank isn't human. He's not human yet, and even when he tries to put on the, on the on the clothes that represent that this is what humans wear, it doesn't work. It, be, it becomes just more goopy. Him, I was loving. Gross. I was loving on it because what a gr- amazing way to save on your effects budget. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to. You don't have to do full body makeup for friend. You do it. You do like just make a gross suit. And right. Then... You do his. You do his face and his hands, and then you put a shirt on him, and you're like, and then you soak it through, and you're some... you're like, oh, he is goopy under the shirt too, and you can imagine yeah. it, but you don't have to have you know, um, I don't know who it is. It's probably Sean Chapman or whatever. But seeing seeing dudes, like, you don't have to have him in the chair for. Yeah, you know, for five Save hours, right? Budget, yeah. Two hours, five huge. hours. I bet you. I'll bet you the full body makeup on these movies took like twelve. Yeah. Oh man! Like just imagine. You remember how long it took to get? Um. Oh no, I'm blanking on his name. But like the Abe Sapien makeup, or oh yeah, like it takes me forty minutes to just put my pants on. That's like. Right, like they had to make in Hellboy. They had to <laughs> break rules just to. Who? What's that actor's name, Bird? I'm looking it up right now because I love that. I think it's oh, also the, the Abe Sapien. Yeah, it's Doug. I think it's also Doug. Doug. But um, Doug. yeah, Doug Jones. So like, Doug, the Doug Jones had to break union rules just to do that movie because it took so long to get him into makeup. I think it was like they were saying it was like ten hour, eight hours or ten hours just to get him into like the full Abe Sapien Fuck. makeup. So once they started shooting, he was mandated to like get breaks and stuff, and he was supposed to be allowed to take the makeup off every. You know, for like six hours at a time or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, once you take the makeup off, you have to leave it off for this amount of time by you know Hollywood rules or union rules. And he was just like, "Fuck that! Shoot as <laughs> yeah. much as you can. I'll stay in the makeup as long as I don't get skin suffocated. Keep it going." Yeah. Um, I I love the silhouette of Frank <laughs> in the moonlight, and then because we get we get Frank like. You know, he—it's when Julia comes back up, and he's like, "Julia, it's me, Frank." And he's got that—he's got this beautiful backlit silhouette. And then, as he turns his face, the moonlight hits him, and it lights up his face. And right while this is happening, we get Julia's first dream. And the dreams in this movie are mm. amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Julia's first dream, or no? I'm sorry, Kirsty's Kirsty's first Kirstie's dream. first dream. Um, feather filled room and the. Yeah. Oh my god. Can we talk real quick about the weird thing that's going on with the lens? They either like smeared it with some Vaseline or like powder filtered it uh, just a little bit. 
it's, it's like they're shooting, old through, shooting through cheesecloth or something. Yeah. To to get the it does. Yeah, it does have it's a very old Hollywood a weird feel. choice. I like it, though. Me too. Me too. Actually, it's interesting you said that. Like a Vaseline smeared lens. That's a that was a common camera trick back in the day. Absolutely. Man Ray d- did something very similar. In the little, there was a little interim there, listener, that you did not hear. But um, Bird found that there is a, another special effects makeup artist on this film who was not credited, which is why oh, I didn't know his name. Um, Dave Chaguri, C H A G O U R I, special effects makeup department. He's known for Labyrinth, Hellraiser <gasps> Three, Waxwork Two, oh. Saving Private Ryan, Tomorrow Never Dies, The Fifth Element. Uh, he did a lot of shit. GoldenEye, wow. Judge Dredd, Braveheart, Rob Roy, Alien 3. Like This dude's doing work. Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade. I mean, like, Hellraiser 1987, Aliens 1986. Ooh, I that's wonder a pretty, if he had That's a pretty impressive sheet, man. That's a deep bet. Yeah, he has, he has himself a little discography, if you will. Um, so, yeah, mad shout out to him as well. Um, not just you, Bob Keen. Got ourselves a little... Yeah, fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Bob Keen's like, hey, man, I didn't hey. I didn't decide to not credit this guy. Why are you shitting on me, man? Watch, we're going to go look at Bob Keen's IMDb, and it's like, known for Hellraiser, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Frank and Julia, they come up with a plan really quickly, which is like, so Julia, why don't you go out and pick up a bunch of like sad dudes, bring them back here, kill them with a hammer. I mean, there's there's knives in the house. Just just have them carry a mattress around. You know, like this house is full of stuff to snag yourself on. Just have them help you move in. <laughs> yeah, be like, hey, uh, we need help carrying some boxes, dude. Carrying boxes up God the stairs. Damn it. Chandelier falls, rips his left arm off. You know, like it's a dangerous house to be in. Um, it's kind of set up like Kevin McAllister's, like. <laughs> Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> Just got like the Home Alone Hellraiser house. <laughs> now there's a crossover Shuck, I would watch. paint cans on the way up the stairs. <laughs> but I love that. I love that first bar pickup because it, I think it illustrates the t- the tone of this movie really well. Because this could have gone like, hey, want to come back to my place and have some sex? And the guy be like, I would love to have some sex. Let's go do that. And then they go home. They go upstairs. They go in the bedroom. I'm going the shitty, dusty attic that's all covered in fucking gore. I like to do it on the floor. Right. We don't need a bed, do we? And he's like, I mean, I'm like 53. My back. (laughs) You know? Do you have. I'll regret it tomorrow, but let's go for it. All right, shit. Okay. Do we have to lay down? What else? Now, this guy's a little rapey. Yes. Like. And I, yeah. I think that's really important because this, this bar pickup goes really quickly from. I wrote down two lines that he says I feel I've known you for years. Yeah, he's like, I feel like I've known you for years, blah, blah, blah. and then when she doesn't immediately, I don't know, like drop to her knees and start chugging his dick, he pounds her against the wall and says, "You're not changing your fucking mind, are you?" And then he sees her face as he's been like, "You're not changing your fucking mind," and he goes, "Sorry, sorry, no, it's it's cool, everything's cool." Like, 
I love that. Sorry, I've been, I'm a little drunk. I love that. And that's and that's the moment where her hesitation melts away. Right. She's where like, she, you can tell she's hesitant. Like, I don't know if I want to fucking mark this guy. He does that, and then she just goes right to, oh, no, I'm going to fucking put a hammer in your head, sir. Yeah, I, I, I like that moment for two reasons. Because, one, it, it I think it shows uh, – it, it kind of fits the feel of this movie, which is that – that uncomfortable, bleak. This is not a feel-good horror film. You're not cheering for <laughs> no. the killers. You know, it's you're not cheering for anyone. Like everyone sucks. Julia sucks. Frank oh, I, sucks. I, Larry I, I sucks. Cheer, I, I cheer for the Cenobites. I I cheer for the <laughs> Cenobites, and I I'm okay with Kirsty. She's a pretty good. She's a pretty okay hero. Um, but I, but I love that. I love that the movie has already shown us Julia reacting positively to an aggressive sexual partner once. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't play the same way here, and I wanted to I wanted to talk about about that really quick. How this guy's aggression is markedly different from Frank's. Frank Frank's aggression when they first meet is sort of that that like shitty alpha male, physically dominant, confident thing. This dude's outburst has has notes of desperation to yeah. it yeah. and a weaker beta yeah it yeah. makes him look weak like the you're not changing your fucking mind are you like that that's not the same as frank being like no we're having sex but i'm driving this guy's like come on i just want to give me boner out you know like <laughs> like that's the difference you're between... not you're not wrong yeah and, and i think that what what attention to detail you know like that's to have that that little echo of her first. I, I also feel like this moment really underscores the, the theme of the film where nothing that happens to you isn't a result of your own making. Like, the choices you make, you you reap those. Yes. Whatever you've sown, you, you know? You reap what you sow, for sure. <clears throat> but, but on the other hand, there is this kind of cool... Not to, I mean, we'll, we'll jump ahead just to compare that idea to this scene. When Kirsty like, touches the puzzle box and bing, 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 it pops open, you know, <laughs> on her. It, it literally, she's like, she, like, does a, a finger. What does this do? Yeah, she does, like, a finger yeah. circle, and it's like, boom, boom. Well, and she's my like, thought on that is it wasn't closed all the way, because otherwise mm. the box would be back in the Arab market. It's like the, the Cenobites are back in hell, assuming Frank is gone, but there's something off about it. This This isn't how it's supposed to go. I think the puzzle box wasn't fully closed and so it didn't take as much effort for her to open it it's almost like she's playing with siri in her hospital bed and she's like you know she's like siri play hell's bells and she's like open portal to hell she's like no 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 no, 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 hell's bells hell's bells opening portal to hell opening portal to hell (laughs) she's like fucking oh come on we need elon musk to make get get that ai figured out um but i like that I like the indifference of the Cenobites because when the Cenobites show up, Kirsty's like, I don't know who you are. I, this isn't even my box. I'm not even supposed to be here today. What in the fuck? <laughs> and the Cenobites are like, you know, like, doesn't what? Matter. well, yeah, the pinhead has that great line when she starts crying because they're like, we're going to we're basically going to torture you into for forever for infinity. And you're going to live the rest of your life. No tears. Champagne. It's a waste of good suffering. No tears. It's a waste of good suffering. I fucking love it. But, um, but yeah, there, there's something different about that. And and really quick, this this bar pickup guy, the whole like, oh, you're, I've known you my whole life. I think our souls are intertwined. You're not changing your fucking mind. Bird showed me um, 
uh, it was I think it was an Instagram post the other day that was like a uh, a DM conversation between a girl like a Instagram a woman on Instagram and a dude, and it said uh, the dudes were the dude had sent her a message that was like I've been I've been chatting with you for two days send me an ass pic or I'm blocking you, you know and like there's there's a whole there are whole pages dedicated mm. to exactly this there there was a woman who did an experiment where she like went on I think it was Tinder. And was just having conversations with people but didn't go any further. And then after like a day or two days or sometimes like three days, the dudes would be like, you're just so beautiful and I love you. And your eyes, your eyes are gorgeous. And then on day three, it's like, fucking cock tease, bitch. If I was there, I'd punch you. And there's that like, pling. And in in a flick, why are you rolling your eyes? (sighs) Every woman. I know, right? Who deals with men. No, so I just rolled my eyes. Well, I know. I, I thought I thought you were rolling your eyes because you like disagreed. But yeah, I figured. But yeah, so like that's this in '87. You know, this is yeah. e- even back then. Clive Barker's like. I mean, I'm sure this goes back to you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, BC 1987. Yeah. <laughs> you know, BC 19,870. You know, there's there's always been that like, I. I, you have the stout hindquarters of a llama, and I love, you know, or whatever. Well, we, we see it, we see it played out with with Larry and Julia too, where she gets feisty and, and takes him up to bed, right. and well, it doesn't help that Larry or the, that Frank is there flaying a rat in front of her. But oh, what a great! It's moment. the same. It's the same sort of thing where it's he. He, what is wrong with you? you? You were you were so hot before, and now you're not, and I don't understand that. She's literally like How saying, dare you? no out ad- loud, and he's it, totally ignoring her. Right, right. <laughs> and then when she finally, I can't bear it, and shoves him off, and Frank has yeah. crept back into the closet, um, and he's, I just don't understand you. I just don't yeah. understand you. Um, I think it's interesting, because she is trying to save his life. You know, like Julia mm-hmm. in that moment is trying to save Larry. Like that's why. Like, c- come with me. Don't go in this room. Why don't we go have sex instead? And then, boom. That's, right. That's where Frank is. Also, what did you think about? I thought it was extremely suggestive the way in that scene how Frank is mutilating that rat. It's kind of like he's fucking the rat with a knife. That's mm-hmm. he's. It's like a sawing motion, sort of. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, watching it, it was it struck. I'd never noticed it before, but it really struck me this time because there's like this carnal act going on, and meanwhile, Frank is at the end of the bed watching impassively and like penetrating this rat with a blade. It's fucked up. It's whatever yeah. is going on there. It's a really disturbing set of images. Side I'm by side. disturbed right now. It's it's yeah. horrible. Like this for real, the fact, listener. The fact that he's not just cutting a rat a rat in half, he's slicing it he's from from like ass to it's flipped uh it's just yeah and he and he doesn't just like stab the rat you know it's not like look it's a rat stab he's like he's got the knife in the rat and he's sort of like slowly kind of sawing up through it's fucking really disturbing Yeah. yeah if listener if you're like hey yeah, he. They talked about uh, uh, Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. I like those movies. Hellraiser's a different thing. This is a this is a movie with more edges. You know, just I be get, aware. I get the sense that Frank is the kind of asshole that cuts the Velveeta cheese lengthwise instead of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, 
Yeah, when I make grilled cheese, I don't care that the Velveeta hangs two inches off either side and burns <laughs> right. to the pan. This is it's just how I do. <laughs> this is how I cut things. Oh, God. How about when Julia fucking puts Frank's goopy, skinless finger in her mouth? <laughs> I love that they they tease it, and then they make it seem like she's not going to do that, and you're like, and they, like, yay! Yeah, yeah they, dude, like, Clive Barker's a wicked genius, because you're just like, whew, dodge that bullet, and then she's like, give me it, uh, and you're like, Ugh. That's like that's like pudding scene in Dead Alive. Yes. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> it's it's about that gross. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. You know, you gotta wonder about uh, Larry. There's like three dead bodies in his upper. Like, in the other room floor. that they don't ever go in. The yeah. ultimate upper deck. There's tons of rats just. Hanging out in his house, like how do you not know? It must stink. You know, I think awful. I think after seeing the plates of food with maggots, with with maggot snowbanks with cockroaches coming out of them, mm-hmm. I think he's like, doesn't smell as bad as when we first got here. Things are getting right. better. <laughs> Three corpses and a boodle of rats is better than what fucking Frank was living in. Uh. Um. So, so Julia does these, like, she's picking up dudes and smashing them around with hammers and shit, and Frank is sucking up their blood and, and becoming more human. The last guy to die, that, that last pickup, when, because she kind of botches it, and Frank has to finish the dude off. Yeah. And he, like, jams the dude's face into that, I think it's a brick fireplace or, yep. or something, like the chimney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the chimney. Mm-hmm. So he, like, bashes the dude's face into that brick chimney and then like they slide to the floor together and there's some foley in there that i thought was amazing because you hear like the you hear that dude's face kind of like peeling off onto the chimney and you get a lot of goopy blood and stuff you get this sense that is like like his teeth are yes shipping off the brick Mm. yeah that's what it was because you get the you get the like the fleshy sounds but there's that like that like yeah, behind yep. it, and you're it's yep. and I'm like, holy shit, is that that dude's teeth? Oh fuck, it's mm-hmm, so gross. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's something you don't have to see. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to show us a mouthful of chipped teeth. You just give me that sound as he's going down the chimney, and my brain does the work. Absolutely. Me- meanwhile, Frank's gooping through a shirt, smoking a you know Chester Duodenum up in his attic. <laughs> I think it's interesting the choice that Frank makes to make Julia complicit. Like, yep. he could have killed these guys that she brought back, but he makes her do it instead. I don't know if he could have killed, like, the first you one. He was, so? he, I mean, he was, like, sitting against the wall, like, <gasps> Julia, it's I, Frank. But after that first yeah, dude. He, he was crawly. He didn't even have his uh, legs working on the first right. one. Once she got him the first guy, after that, Frank's, like, walking around, pacing. and. I think that maybe it got easier for her, and I think maybe she started to actually enjoy the process. I I agree. I'm thinking that's why he made her do it. Yeah. So Frank, when Frank comes back, this new Frank, we have to remember this isn't this isn't the Frank that got ki- that was mutilated and brought to hell by the Cenobites. This is a Frank who has been mutilated and brought to hell by the Cenobites. He's got a couple extra flavors on his palate. Yes, mm-hmm. he does. Um, t- torture and pain are kind of. Be- become a deep part of his lexicon and re- and we have to remember too that Julia's trying to get on his trip 
So when he's like, you got to kill these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about? When she sees how he treats murder and how he treats like this carnage, he's he's like, listen, this is this is part of my ride, man. If you want to mm-hmm. get in the car, you got to you got to play along, you know. So and she does eventually take to it. Like when she pops that dude's mouth like off his face with the hammer, she really doesn't seem that bummed about it. Um, nope. The thing that I think she's most grossed out by is Frank. I wonder if there's something to that. When she seems to get really disturbed is when Frank like comes down onto the body and is like, "Don't look at me," and he's like sucking the juices out and stuff. She's like, "I can't watch this. I have to go." Meanwhile, she just she just opened this dude's skull with a hammer, you know, a claw hammer. But she's yep. like, "Oh, he's like, it's like these two dudes are kissing. I gotta go. I can't watch <laughs> this." Oh, I thought it was more the like. I'm taking a big straw like a Slurpee and yeah, so and I just can't. He's handle. getting him with his fingers. It's a weird like he, he. I think he opens up the the jugular vein by like jamming his fingers into the yeah, neck, and then right. he like pops the hole out and gets gets Vampirism? it all down. I didn't think that sound was a little silly. The Slurpee sound was a little silly. It's the one very I just did. Straw Slurpee. Oh, yeah. yeah the... Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a little go- it was a little goofy, but I'm I'm still willing to like give it a pass. It's like, you know, and then you know, she comes back up, she's like, "Are you done?" He's like, "I think there's an Oreo piece in the straw. I can't get it, Julia." This one's like an M&M flurry. I wish they'd give you a goddamn spoon with these things. Oh, there it is. Oh god. Like trying to do the shamrock shape, shape of the straw. Or doing that thing that little kids do when they've got the bottom of the thing and they're still just like trying to get every last little slurp off the bottom of it. And she's like, You've had that thing for a half hour. Stop it. You've got it all. We're throwing this away. It's disgusting. (laughs) Um I I love so I I mean honestly, the from this point on You've got the gist of it. They're killing people. Frank's drinking them, and and that's kind of the movie, which is amazing. But then we get um, I can't remember how Kirsty ends up in the hospital. Do you? Where like yeah, we get she, she comes she comes home. She's she's gonna come home to visit, and she she's outside the house and sees uh, Julie go in with a, a stranger and watches her go, and then hears the murder. She goes inside and like witnesses the word murder essentially. And uh, Frank is there, all gross. He says, "Come to daddy," right. and she then she uh, fucking grabs the box and fucking beats feet out of there. She throws the box out of the window. Out the then window, runs. right? Yeah, and then she like is flatlining, like because she's just witnessed so much fucking crazy shit, like this right. And she, that's demon thing sucking on a dude, and like, what the fuck is happening? And, and that's, that's when, when... she. She passes out on the street, and some strangers pick her up and take her to the hospital. And she's got—that's when she's having that second strange dream, and we have the the really amazing shot of the uh, that red blooming carnation. Yeah, yeah. And then again, I'd never noticed this. Bird pointed it out as we were watching this time. But when she wakes up in the hospital, the nurse is wa- the nurse who's like wait waiting for her to wake up is watching TV, and what's on the television is that exact same blooming carnation. She's got some, like, psychic ability or prophetic dream thing happening. Yeah, and that this is something that I, I wanted to kind of praise this franchise for, is the first Hellraiser movie has a very distinct... I know, I don't even know what that what sound is. What's going on? It's construction. Um, the first Hellraiser movie has a very distinct feel. 
it, it has a there's a vibe there's a there's an atmosphere to the first Hellraiser where you get these really hallucinatory and disturbing dream sequences you mm-hmm. get echoes of dreams in reality and vice versa there's tons of symbolism and you get that sort of like bleak um, it feels like hell some shots some parts of this movie feel like hell and then in the later parts of the franchise some of the movies catch this vibe better than most franchises do like i would argue Mm -hmm. that none of the halloween movies except none of the halloween movies catch the feel of the first one until you get to 2018 and then it kind of comes back a little bit after the first um nightmare on elm street movie freddie becomes a lot goofier he becomes a comic book character right Mm -hmm. a lot of the franchises kind of establish a tone and then new directors come along and they're like i'm gonna redefine the franchise and they fuck up what everyone liked about it in Hellraiser, I feel like the reason that so many of these movies land for me all the way through the franchise, like all the way out to like some of the later ones like um, Dead World or whatever, when it's like the video game one, they all kind of land because all of the directors stick to the formula, which is give me something that's borderline psychedelic. Give me something that's dreamlike yeah. and hallucinatory and strange and abstract. And they catch the feeling, that bleak, hopeless feeling of hell. That this movie really feels hopeless a lot of the time in a good way because that's what it's going for. <laughs> and throughout the franchise, this vibe, this like blooming carnation, um, rooms full of feathers or, or like a room that you walk out and then you just you you walked out the door in through the door back into the room and you can never escape like that hallucinatory, trippy, hellish, psychedelic vibe goes all the way through the franchise. Mm hmm. And that's a pretty rare thing. And I think part of the reason they did it is because this first film establishes it so powerfully. Yeah. So Kirsty wakes up in the hospital, pops open the Hellraiser box. You know, hey, Siri, <laughs> hell's bell. <laughs> um, um, uh, hey, Siri, um, shop for Windex. Uh, yes, summoning pinheads. No, 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 no. Windex. Win- fuck, fuck. I hate this box. Um. Dude, when those those Cenobites pop in, bang, 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 like immediately, that one walks over to Kirsty as she's screaming and terrified and just jams two fingers in her mouth. Yep. Wild. There's something about that that is, to me, more disturbing than anything else in this movie. Like, that upsets me as much as the melty corpse coming out and the mouth getting knocked off. The fact that the Cenobites, like, step in the room, Kirsty screams, and this Cenobite's just like, bloop just two there's it's so invasive and so honestly like i would say that that feels rapier to me than the other two sex scenes or like moments where we were talking about it feeling rapey that feels extremely invasive to me it's a great detail because there's no lead up there's no like boogie 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 boo he's like all right this is what we're here for straight in just right and 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 it she can't what did you think of that because i was very uncomfortable it totally is it's really like it's kind of disturbing and i'm wondering there's a famous play by sam shepherd where this happens i can't remember the name of the play it's the one that has the dead baby in it but there's a scene in that alfie i don't know I don't think it's Elf. Is there a dead baby in Elf? <laughs> there's, there's a dead baby in Elf. I don't know. So there's a, Sh- a Sam Shepard play where where uh, one of the moments is this crazy, like, abusive character gets one of the female characters to, like, kneel on the ground. And it's right in the sa- stage directions that just kind of out of nowhere, he puts his fingers in her mouth. 
And it's it, when you read the play, it's like this really symbolic thing. It's shocking to read. And I'm pretty sure that play predates this movie. So I'm not sure. Oh, I think it's Buried Child, 1978. Mm. So yeah, this yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's in Buried Child. Um, so this this goes. Thank you. This goes. This predates that movie by almost a decade. You know. So I'm wondering if Clive Barker saw that because that is a that's a pretty disturbing. So for some reason, that upsets me more than the fact that the help the Cenobites are here to like flay and mutilate. Something just about like well, it's a very distinctive action, and it happens a couple times in this movie. Fingers in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a... it, it's kind of yeah, yeah. Um, the Shenab. Uh, let me see. But yeah, please no tears. We are explorers, demons to some, angels to others. This is where we get all of that speech. This is when Pinhead kind of shows shows. This is and... this is why you buy the ticket. You know, this is right. This right. whole bit the we get a little bit of exposition and we understand just enough to know that we are supposed to be terrified and we are. Yeah, totally. So. We've, we've seen what they did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, like light again, cool practical effects, like lights shining through the bricks. Oh dude. Very, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, but then she, I like how Kirsty gets out of it, which is she, she's like, Hey, do you guys know, this isn't even my box. You know, this guy named Frank. And they're like, yeah, he's down in hell. And we fucked him all up. She's like, he's not in hell. He's at my house. He's alive right now. I'm pretty sure he's, he's he might be banging my mom, my stepmom. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so back at back at the old homestead, dad's dead. Larry gets fucking killed. That is incredible too. The whole like wearing Frank's or wearing Larry's wearing Larry's skin. Ugh. That's a tough one to say. But Little Larry suit, dude. He's he's literally leisure suit Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we need crazy sound effects um i want to know what you guys thought of this because how in the fuck is kirsty not seeing dad's bloody hairline oh i know this is my thought on it she is she just saw things that humans should never see Right, Cinnabites. <laughs> she got ch- and got chased by this giant scorpion thing. Right. She's already having a bad day because of of gooey Frank. Yeah, and going to the hospital. Her brain isn't probably capable of putting any of that shit together. She's like, it's my dad. It's a face I know. I need to fucking like, what the fuck is happening? It's probably she's aware of it, but not even. Like imagine, like you're at this point. You're not even. That's you're true. Not, yeah, you're, you're totally blown out. There's I've... nothing else that your brain can possibly i've seen a flayed human walking towards me i've accidentally siried open a gateway to hell i just yeah. saw a dude with nails hammering his head and some strange person just jammed their fingers in my mouth for kind of no reason yeah it's a little extra sweaty than normal right she might be tunnel visioning in on like just the tip mm-hmm. of his nose or something yeah. um yeah that makes sense i love when so when he does the like come to daddy and she realizes like oh that's my uncle frank wearing my dad's skin oh yeah by the way listener remember when i was saying this movie's rowdier than those other ones it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) when she like reaches up and scratches his cheek oh my god dude like she gets like like her nails under his cheek and she basically takes out like three three inch deep gashes it is just and it's his face is ha- so jammy. Yeah, it's hang and his that he leaves the flaps. Like he even hanging. Go, he tries to like put the flaps back up. Oh, uh, 
<laughs> nah, you fucked me up. God damn it. It's so gross. <laughs> Gotta get a new skin suit. Yeah, the danglies. The danglies are the grossest part of that. They're like they're like flooping around on his face yep. and he's just like, Well, I guess <laughs> I guess we're just gonna leave these. Um how about when he just kills Julia uh, casually and then is like, hmm, well I guess I'll feed on her now that she's yep. done. Yeah. I think that that's Totally what he would do. He doesn't fucking care about her. He no, needed her he... To, to get his fucking body back. Right. And maybe it's because we're watching Game of Thrones, which is just like a symphony of cruelty. Yeah. I almost <laughs> felt like Julia got off a little light. Oh, she got yeah. off fucking super easy. Yeah. For like... She got she got a knife to the belly and got and, and got slurpied and like boop. Yeah. She got she got switchblade slurpied and she's <clears throat> toast in like 20 seconds. Yeah. I'm like, come, what? Cersei had to walk all the way through the city totally nude. So, spoilers. <laughs> I just had a random thought, like super random, and I have to interject it because I don't want to forget it. Go. Do you think possibly that Beetlejuice is a uh, Cenobite that was um, pushed out of the Church of the Gash? Cenobites. I hate it myself. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you summon him. I'm here for and your he daughter. He's just too and goofy. He does the things. I mean, but he... that's why, that's why he was he was pushed out of the chair. He was too goofy. They're like, "What is wrong with this Beetlejuice? <laughs> he's just making jokes." <laughs> uh, what do you think, Miss uh, Lord Pinhead? I think that um, Brother Beetlejuice needs to be reassigned because he's just <laughs> fucking goofy. <laughs> he he doesn't seem to like pain that much. Um, More like psychological pain. Right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, honestly, I like suffering, but he's driving me up a fucking wall. <laughs> <He's driving me. laughs> I um, think that's that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I I had to write it down. I so I I definitely watched this movie a little toasty. And near the end, when when uh, Kirsty's backing into the room, you know, and she's trying to get away from Frank. I you can see her dad's skinned body on the floor behind her, and I was like, I was like, oh, oh, Kirsty, don't slip in your dad. No, <laughs> oh, no. I know, but he's, he's got dad puddle, you know. She's she just like, ruins her Buster Browns trying to get away from Frank. Buster Browns. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then Frank pops in, and he says, and he, I love how she get, gets him to admit it. You know, she's like, that's right, I'm your dear uncle Frank. And then Frank the- Wally, my social security <laughs> yeah. number is. In case there was I uh, any b- doubt about who I am, right? Anyone that may or may not be listening. If I were to needs- t- if I were to take off the your dad's legs that I'm wearing like pants, you could see us. Uh, you could see I've got a fracture in my right tibia. <laughs> that only happened of is a bicycle accident. Meanwhile, Pinhead's like, Shh, I, we're here now. You can shut up. Yes, shut up. You got it. You're Frank. He's like, Mike, look at my teeth. Look at my teeth. See this filling right here? Mm. It's it was all those Christmas cookies and Pinhead's like, I can't wait to torture you again. <laughs> um and then Carl, I believe this is this is your favorite line in the movie, right? This last oh, the, bit. the final line is incredible when he's about to be torn apart, Pinhead's like, This is not for your eyes or whatever. And, right. And he says, Jesus wept and just gets torn apart. Oh, it's it's so good. They're like with the with the face prosthetic yep. where his face just, is just Yeah, because like... he's got like the uh moisturize me, moisturize me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but 
the thing, the incredible thing is doing a little bit of research. The original line was he was just supposed to stare at Ju- uh, at Kirsten or Kirsten say "fuck you" was the line. That was, was the line. Fuck you. Yeah. And the actor on the day was like, "Why don't I say Jesus wept instead?" And they're like, "Um, yes. Yeah, go with that. Like, go with that." I love. I love that quote because it reads two ways, which I think is amazing. Because what Jesus wept is a phrase, you know. It's like it's like it's basically like oh, it's a way of saying Jesus Christ without blaspheming. Kind of, it's mm-hmm. like oh, Jesus wept. Let's get let's just get on with it. You know, it's it's yeah. a it's a a phrase of exasperation, right? Yep. But it's also uh, Jesus got nailed to a cross and he cried. Yeah. What yeah. a pussy. That is the other reading of that line. That is, I so love it. So speaking of two reads, this is a note that from, from early uh, when we have Frank finds Julie for the first time. Yeah. And he's grabbing on. He says, please, God, help me. But the way he says it sounds and comes across like, please, God, help me. Right. Like by helping me. It's this weird, like, please, God, help me. Like, if you please. Please God. He's actually like, please, speaking to God. He's not. It's yeah. not just like a. Oh shit! No, 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 help no. me, please no, God. What help I'm me. saying is yeah. like to her, like, like please God, like make him happy. Oh, like, if you please, help me, it please will please God, God. Help me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. So I have to uh, clarify your biblical reference. Hit me. It wasn't correct. It wasn't because he was on the cross. It was when his friend Lazarus died. Yeah. And nobody told him, and he went to where he was buried. Then he wept. All right. Nobody been like, "Hey, yo, Jesus, come help us." Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? You yeah. know, this is more of an Easter movie than a Christmas movie. It is with all yeah. the resurrections and There's whatnot. There's a ton of yeah. resurrections. Yeah, we should have saved this for. <laughs> well, I. It makes more sense. Jesus wept because he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Oh, right. Yeah. So. So as like a resurrection thing. Well, what do you well, know? Gosh darn. What do you know about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys think I can get back into the gang? I've been pretty good this year. Did you guys see what I did with that, that crazy couple in that one house? The, the, the Maitlands? You see what I did with the Maitlands? You said if I... Uh, no? All right, well, damn it. He's, I like that uh, Beetlejuice just kind of turned into Elvis Presley near the he end did. of that. He did! Thank you very much. <laughs> And Jesus has left the building. I ain't nothing but a sandworm. Crying all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, I honestly, from this point on, I think the movie kind of jumps the shark a little. It does. There's like, only... like I said, the last five, ten minutes are. As soon she defeats the Cenobites, and I kind of dig that, how she puts the puzzle box back together and they kind of foop out of there. Right. But as soon as boyfriend shows up and we get the big thing, it's just fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, look, it. That, yeah, it is. The last little bit is not. It's, it doesn't land for sure. But everything else does. Like, listener, sometimes there's just a, a small chunk of a really amazing movie. We talked about it with, um, to a lesser extent, like Black Caesar. There's yep. that, like, 20 minutes of him just, like, wandering around the city for no reason. But the rest of the movie is, like, 10 it out of 10. Fucking great, yeah. So, yeah, so that the end of Hellraiser... It kind of feels like one of those, one of those, you know how sometimes when Stephen King gets to the end of a book and he's like, thank, I was thinking exactly the same <laughs> thing. Like, this is a goddamn Stephen King ending. Yeah. It's like, like perfect, 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 perfect. Then you're on like page like 700 and he's like, and, 
And then a jelly bean fell, and it, it went through her brain, and everyone died except the people that you don't want to die. The end. And you're like, you, yeah, didn't, like, oh, you didn't know how to okay. land this, did ya? <laughs> you? So the movie is 94 minutes long. You could right. have easily cut out four minutes, hit 90 minutes, bing, a on perfect, the dot. I, I'll tell you right now, you would not even <clears> have to, you wouldn't have to reshoot anything. You could just remove a few parts. And oh, then yeah. add a fade in well, and a fade yeah, out. As soon as she walks down the stairs, puzzle box in hand, walk out the door, cut, do that Arab market bit, you're good. Yep. Yeah. I, what I would, if I was reshooting this thing, I would do like the house is burning and they're, because th- the house does burn down and we get kind of a shot of them like looking at the burning house, right? Give me yep. the burning house, bang, cut to black, silence. Just like, like abrupt cut. Or do a J cut and cut to black and leave the sound of the fire. And then have the fire turn into the sounds of a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then, and then whoop. I say we cut back in hard. Bang. Oh, yes. So we go like. <laughs> <laughs> so just boop. And then there we are. And we're the guy's sitting at the table and the box is on the table and there's cash and there's the dude. And then it's we. Like... Right. Because I think I'm not. I don't know if I'm remembering this right. But I feel like we kind of like zoom in a little bit on their on them watching the fire if we didn't we would have to reshoot this a little so we zoom in on the fire we cut to black and we open back up at the marketplace and then we zoom out and it's sir what's your pleasure and then we get the light effect and then it, we realize that we've been in the puzzle box the whole time which i thought was a cool way to bookend it we're all, we're all out of puzzle boxes uh we do have plenty of mogwai for sale though <laughs> can you imagine like what's your pleasure sir and he's like the puzzle box is on the table and he's like I want guar tickets. Can you get me <laughs> tickets to a guar no, game? I, I want to be front row, odorous, ungrous, fucking right. <laughs> and the guy's like, I mean, yes, I, I could get you that, but like, do you see this puzzle box? He's like, I, I wasn't really a puzzle guy. Guar's fucking gnar, though, brah. <laughs> the reason we're, we're goofing is because the end of this movie is a little goof troop. Yes. That's it, though. Exactly. Honestly, I, to any horror fan who has not seen Hellraiser, Watch the shit out of this. Please do. Yeah. Run. It's incredible. Don't walk to your nearest streaming device because Blockbuster <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. But mm-hmm. yeah, Hellraiser is a damn good film. For real. And I'm so glad we did it for Christmas. Me too. Well, we got Exorcist last Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, last then... Christmas we did Exorcist and Black Christmas. That's right. And actually we did. No, we didn't. Because that was season one. Season one we Whoa. did. We did. That was season one. Yeah. I can't remember what we did last Christmas. Well, you know what? Last Christmas, <laughs> I gave you my heart. And this the Christmas. The very next day, you tore it apart. Casino <laughs> bites put their hooks <laughs> in my chest. I was waiting for last. I was waiting for this uh, last Christmas, the hell bound my heart. Oh. All right. I got nothing else. I love Hellraiser. High, highly recommend it. It's fucking great. Yes. Um, final thoughts, anybody? Bird, you want got anything else? Bird's got nothing. Carl's got nothing. I got, I got nothing. I did my Beetlejuice joke, and I feel like that's about as, as perfect as it gets. I landed about forty percent of the jokes I threw today, so I'm yeah. I, that's yeah. a win. That's a win in my book. Um, speaking <laughs> of books, this book, The Hellbound Heart. If you're in the TC area, the library can definitely get it for you. That's how I read it originally. It's very short. It's a quick read. It's really well written. Um, I read can... it at your wedding, Carl. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. I forgot that. Yeah, because we showed up early. so fucking happy. 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. So it's definitely worth a read if you've never read anything by Clive Barker. Honestly, the Hellbound Heart is the place to start. Super short. You'll find out if you like him in a, in a hurry. But if you even if you don't like the book, dude, this movie is fucking killer. So, um, that so that begins. I believe this begins a new series that Carl and I are going to embark yeah. upon. We still have to finish when Harry met Michael, but as soon as that's over. Yes, yeah, yeah. We will definitely do that. Um, but we are going to do um, uh, we're going to do a new series. So next week, Carl and I are going to be talking about another uh, amazing film from the 80s. We're going to be diving into Bruce. Or, no, I'm, I was going to say Bruce Tim. I meant Tim Burton. <laughs> Sorry. Bruce Tim drew the original Batman. He's, yeah. he's the style that they did the Batman animated series. But we're going to do uh, Tim Burton's uh, Batman, the first one. And then we're going to do Hellraiser 2, and then we're going to do Batman 2, and if you listeners can't guess what we're going to do, we're going to do Bruce Wayne in the House of Pain. What up? Your suffering... I hate that. Your suffering will be legendary, (laughs) even in Gotham. Hell yeah. (laughs) Fuck yes, dude. I'm so excited. We're doing Batman and Hellraiser as a little pas de deux, baby. I love it. Me too. It feels feels right. It just feels right. It does. It feels mostly right because I was able to come up with a rhyme. That's almost always how our sometimes s- that's more than what you need, yeah. <laughs> but never enough. It's the that is literally how we came up with when Harry met Michael. That's when not he- a rhyme though. No, but it's a pun. It's Basically, a reference. A pun. Yeah, yeah, it's wordplay. If you can come up with a clever title for a series, even if it makes no sense, like you could do Fern Gully and Hostel. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> We're just talking now. We love y'all. Um, stay tuned. We got lots more fun flicks for you. And don't worry. It's not going to be all Hellraiser and Batman. We'll pop in and out. Um, we'll probably put some of it over on Patreon. There's lots of diverse films coming up. But uh, uh, we love y'all. We're getting caught up. We're almost caught up on December now that it's almost January. <laughs> we'll be there any second now. And we also have a very special, um, we have a special guest episode coming up. That will probably drop sometime in the next four days or so. Um, my editing schedule, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's coming. We're going to do a special episode, finally, with uh, renowned filmmaker Jeffrey T. Morgan. I, I What's his middle name? Ten- Thomas. Thomas Tenelian. Tenacious. Tenacious. <laughs> Jeffrey Tenacious Morgan is popping on to talk about an A24 flick. We're going to leave it a surprise. And we wish you a Merry Christmas. Um Bird, thank you so much for being on the episode. Of course. Yeah, thank you, Bird. Good to see you again Aww. and hear your voice again. It's been a long time. Miss guys. It has been a long time. It's been a long year. All right. Yeah. We love y'all. We're getting out of here. Stay tuned. Thank you all so much. Bye, everyone. We can't. Not on